fuck. Bottom fight. We bottom fight. Shit! Whoo! Yeah, daddy. What? We bottom fight. Jazz ain't dead. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to We Bought a Mic. That was a very energetic intro that we just did. Oh, yeah. Usually you know. our intros don't have that much energy. This is going to be a good pod today. My secret, I woke up 30 minutes ago. Oh, nice. nice. <laughs> I'm Ernest My secret, Calderon. there's a mountain of cocaine on this Yeah, right also the mountain of cocaine so right that, in front of us. That might be doing it. <laughs> it's one or the other. Anyway, um, I'm, I'm Drew Dietzen. I am Hunter Mobley. What are we talking about today, boys? The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the new Coen Brothers movie, now available to stream on Netflix, um, and some shows that we've been watching. Uh, but I think we got to start things on a solemn note today. We got to remember... Um, My favorite president. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that old fuck. Um, <laughs> we got to remember... Um, just because you're dead doesn't mean you weren't a shitty person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the passing of Mr. Steven Hillenburg creator of spongebob squarepants wow r.i.p the great great hillenberg yeah this is this is actually a big bummer uh he was young he had als yeah he had als he was in his 50s by by everyone's accounts he was actually a really cool dude which is kind of rare because he was like a so fucking rich like after a few years of spongebob um, but yeah, this dude had an awesome life. If you ever looked him up before, like he had a degree in marine biology mm-hmm. and that's what he originally did. And then he's just like, no, nah, I'm just going to like make cartoons. So then he works on, uh, Rocco's modern life, which was one of the most like inventive cartoons of our childhood, okay. I would say. Um, and then he's just like, no, nah, this isn't enough. I'm just going to like make the greatest cartoon ever made. Basically. <laughs> he, uh, he kind of changed the game as far as uh, children's TV goes. And I think, you know, looking back, a lot of shows were negatively influenced by SpongeBob because they kind of took it in a much more extreme direction. And children's TV has become like so, you know, just yeah, off zany. the wall yeah, zany. Because, yeah. yeah, SpongeBob. Because of SpongeBob. Yeah, the pace of SpongeBob is insane. Uh, that's like one of the biggest like unique things about it but then past that it just was like a really good show yeah but and i also like i feel like kids tv shows especially pre spongebob and really pre rocco's modern life it was either like um just like very very dumbed down in which parents there was nothing for parents to like take out of it or it was almost like uh like trying to like teach morals through like episode to episode it was like treated it like full house basically where you're supposed yeah. to like learn something by the end of the cartoon episode and spongebob instead did something like completely different where they actually put forth a uh, concerted effort to make their episodes good not just good for kids but make like actual good episodes of television and i think spongebob was ahead of its time too before the days of the internet before like you know, internet memes or anything like that. Like now SpongeBob has kind of found this perfect home on the internet because of Twitter and Instagram and like the meme culture and the meme culture. But back in the nineties, like that wasn't a thing. And it just captured this really unique sense of humor. 
um, that I really haven't seen in any other show. I mean, a lot of people hate it because of just how crazy it is, but I don't know, man. It's there's nothing else like SpongeBob. Who, who, the, who the fuck hates SpongeBob? I I think people get annoyed by the laugh and and just the the stupidity of some yeah. of the characters. I, I can see but... parents being like, "This is making my son retarded." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but. It, this is this show. Another really important thing about it is that it's one of the last uh, laying monuments of the monoculture mm-hmm. in in America and in the world. It's one of the last shows that of of the demographic of our generation and pretty much everyone after it because the show is still running. We all watch SpongeBob. It's, yeah, it's yeah. not like oh, so, it defined our generation. Yeah, it's not like oh, some of us were watching like Gumball and some were watching Adventure Time and some were watching like this. It's like no, this was the only show. Like, this was the biggest thing. And it has remained that for about 20 years now. But it 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 was almost bigger than that. And, like, tying back to the meme culture thing. Because a lot of the shows that existed in that pre-streaming peak TV era, it was really about, like, the plot. You know, like, mm-hmm. think about Lost. Like, people needed to talk... There, there was this conversation around loss because of like what was happening in the story. That's not what SpongeBob was. It was more about like making references and jokes and like callbacks to the show oh. and understanding a certain type of humor because mm-hmm. you watch the show. Well, this is awkward because yeah. I was just about to talk about how similar it is to Lost. <laughs> <laughs> but never They're mind. like the same. Steven Hellenberg and Damon Lindelof are like the same person. Yeah. But, uh... SpongeBob is no. really just about the afterlife. Well, if you really think about it. <laughs> no, what I was going to say that, uh, also give credit to Spongebob is I feel like especially whenever you're a kid like there are Nickelodeon kids there are Cartoon Network kids there are Disney kids I was kind of always in more the Nickelodeon Cartoon Network camp but it was like Spongebob is one of the only shows to break through that everybody watched it no matter like what your preference was of those three channels or even like whenever you get slightly older and you start watching like VH1 or MTV if you're a trash person <laughs> then oh i did you know i mean i did too <laughs> and there are things that are completely ingrained in our in our minds like think about the um the band the band geeks oh, episode that's my is mayonnaise an instrument <laughs> it's like one of the performance well, at the end yeah that's why it's like the best meme show because it's we all know the references particularly of early spongebob mm-hmm. it's you know it he he left being a creative force behind the show pretty early on, um, like post the SpongeBob movie, I think. Okay. And then he came back briefly after that. But yeah, this, this was a really special show because it managed to be, uh, funny by adult standards, uh, very funny by child standards. And it also was wholly unique. Like it was such, the pitch of it is just like unexplainable. Like yeah. it's like what? <laughs> a talking sponge. A talking sponge. Yeah, his friend is a starfish lives under a big rock. He lives in a fucking pineapple. His neighbor <laughs> lives in like an Easter island whatever even. Um and the the biggest thing about it I think is that it actually had a big heart to it. It mm-hmm. wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't like one of those cartoons that is just like dour and like has this weird message for kids. Like it wasn't preachy. But it, it, SpongeBob like has a heart of gold in that show. He's yeah. really annoying, but the message of that show is that like good energy prevails. Over, Optimism, yeah, over uh, logic and being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Squidward, yeah, subtweeting you. Um, 
Yeah, there was another thing I wanted to bring up. Did you guys see that there's a petition? Uh, 50,000 people have signed a petition for the Super Bowl to feature the Band Geeks song. Yeah. Sweet victory. So that's oh, not going to happen. That wouldn't happen, but Jesus, that'd no, be incredible. No way in fucking hell, but that'd be cool. Especially because who's doing the it's, Super Bowl this it's year? It's Maroon, Maroon 5. <laughs> yeah, Maroon 5. They should just go uh, uh, out there dressed as SpongeBob not, characters. Not to go too far on like a little um, sidetrack thing, but I believe that it was like Shea Serrano. Or no, it wasn't. It was somebody, uh, a writer who I know is from Atlanta, who was talking about because they really wanted them to just bring only Atlanta artists in. So they'll start off with Maroon 5, and then they'll like bring Migos on the stage, and then Migos will bring Gucci on the stage, yeah. and then they'll just be like this whole Atlanta Rappers Fest yeah, party. And then they'll just be like, all right, Maroon 5, you can come back and like close this <laughs> off or something. But really, Maroon 5 just opens it up and then closes it, and then the rest is just whole yeah. Atlanta fan. Atlanta Fest. I just want to see moves like Jagger. They close with Sunday morning. Um, well, yep. R.I.P. Steven Hillenburg. You will be missed, but you have, you know, changed a generation and a genre and uh, gave us something truly special. I think, yeah, I think SpongeBob is like the biggest show of the past like 30 years maybe oh yeah like it's yeah. fucking huge yeah. oh yeah it's insane how it's big stamp it is. on the culture is yeah. unreal i mean it's still like everywhere like i just went to universal this past week and there's like a there's a big old pineapple where you can just go in buy spongebob merch and stuff like that yeah like it's... uh one quick thing when i went to see spongebob on broadway there um I, before the show started, I walked up to the stage. The stage was amazing. Like, they made it look like you were underwater, you know? It was just beautifully done. But there was one section where the guy who did, like, auxiliary percussion stood, like, mm -hmm. his station. And it was decorated with, like, so much SpongeBob merch. Like, tons and tons of memorabilia <laughs> of, like, random shit. Like, lunch boxes and uh, highlighters. Um, <laughs> tennis balls, uh, just toys, like anything, any random shit that you can think of that SpongeBob theme, it was just completely covering this section. So you can just, you just get the idea that SpongeBob as like a recognizable figure icon brand is, yeah, he's love, he's life. Uh, so next up, you know, they say that it comes in threes. <laughs> Yeah, we have so we have Hillenburg, <laughs> we have H.W. Bush, and, and we have Daredevil. Yeah, so this is uh, the next show on Netflix to get canceled. Yeah, next I, Marvel show. I'm struggling to decide which one I care less about: H.W. Bush or Daredevil <laughs> dying. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a I lean more teetering. towards Daredevil on which one I care less about because it's like at least. You know, as a person, I'm like, damn, George W. lost his mom and dad in the same year. That's kind of rough. Daredevil, it's like, well, did anybody <laughs> care after the first season? So, Well, okay, I've been trying to, to watch the third season, and now with these with this news, I honestly don't even want to finish why? it. Why? Yeah, like, I made why it, bother? It means nothing. <laughs> I made it four episodes, and I'm just like, Any uh, cliffhanger that's going to be left there will be unresolved. Yeah. And... I mean, to me, this is really Disney just cleaning shop before yeah. they launch their service i just don't get why they're doing it like like staggered why didn't they just cancel everything at once like we know did, that wait did netflix cancel it or did disney pull netflix it? yeah netflix canceled it but it's probably because disney is just like hey your contract or whatever it is that you signed for having the rights to these marvel characters it's up now yeah it's or maybe i don't know does Ma that mean are they gonna get 
pulled from Netflix. They'll like the get, old episodes uh, once oh, Disney I, starts well, up. Well, that's a contract thing. We, yeah, I guess we couldn't really know. Yeah, like, I doubt it. No, that's it's a Netflix original. You know, they would have to buy yeah, you know, but if the show back from yeah, them. yeah. I guess I don't, I mean, I'm not sure do, exactly how that works. They, I mean, I th- I think there's a good chance. It depends on like I said. It depends on the rights written in like the fine print of some contract somewhere, but. Uh, this, like I said, this was like a few episodes, but I was talking about how like for Netflix, th- this is the move because like it might get pulled anyway. So why not cancel it now? So it's damaged goods once it comes back, if it's on a Disney service. Yeah. The um, only, the only thing that, um, is still kind of lingering for me is the fact that Charlie Cox, the, the, the guy that plays Daredevil, he's really good in the role. Yeah. So it'd be great if they kind of kept him on in, in some form and also uh, Vincent D'Onofrio as Kingpin, he is phenomenal. He is Kingpin. Yeah, like it's just iconic. If they kid. found a way to incorporate him into the next Spider, into the third Spider-Man movie somehow, that would be amazing. I'd be so. In- or even that. if if they made like a Kingpin spinoff show on the Disney streaming service with Vincent D'Onofrio, and found a way to, because uh, we know that uh, Disney's gonna make shows with. Um, Winter Soldier with Bucky Barnes and Falcon and Vision and Scarlet Witch and Loki. So they're getting these actors that have been on the big screen to be on these streaming shows. So they could get Tom Holland to kind of pop in for uh, a quick little Kingpin miniseries. Yeah, but I mean, then bringing up about the whole contract situation, you don't know if Vincent D'Onofrio might have signed a deal. It's like exclusive to Netflix original Marvel things. Exactly. We don't know. So he might not even be able to actually do something like that. Yeah. Which would suck because that is like it. It's like whenever I visualize Kingpin, I think of Vincent D'Onofrio. He's so good. He is so good in that role and he just looks like him. Yeah. Iconic. All right, well, R.I.P. Daredevil, the only other ones that are left are The Punisher and Jessica Jones, and I'm sure we'll hear of both of them getting canceled um, probably early next year at some point. Um, All right, let's get to – oh, you got a little little game. Um, Yeah, I just briefly wanted to bring it up. So Super Smash Brothers comes out this Friday. Oh, shit, already. So I've been trying to find – little games to like occupy my time in the meantime i bought jeopardy on the switch i've just been practicing my jeopardy skills on there and also i'm like three years late to the party but i uh bought a little indie game called undertale have you guys ever heard of this i've heard of it um i'm Um, not sure what it is about furries uh, if only it has just as much of an impact as furries do in the culture though (laughs) it's Um, it's like a side scroller right it's like an RPG style game. It's super duper short. You can honestly plow through this game in like a few hours. Um, but what's cool about it is you can play through it three completely different ways. You can either be a true pacifist, which means you can literally like any a- encounter you get to, you can just run away or you can talk to them and you kill nobody throughout your entire mission. Uh, You can go through a neutral, or you can go through a a genocide path where you kill everything that you encounter. And what you do totally affects your gameplay throughout the game, like which one of those paths you go down. So it's kind of cool. I just kind of finished it doing neutral because I didn't even realize that the whole pacifist idea was This is on Switch, right? Yeah, it's on the Switch. Um, It came out on Steam uh, in 2015. Yeah. I think that's but when I heard of it. The thing that's so charming about this game is that it's almost like I don't know if you guys have ever played the Earthbound series or anything like that, but 
the dialogue and the humor in this game is genuinely like so funny and like it's stupid been like the best way in the way that earthbound um it was japanese people uh poking fun at american culture this is almost like um like made by an american man who's poking fun at the tumblr and like (laughs) death kind of culture which is ironic because then this became like the tumblr like everybody on tumblr was like yes undertale is life it gets me it looks um kind of like the art design kind of looks like foster's home for imaginary friends Little bit. Cool. Yeah, it's it's kind of a mix of that. It really looks a lot like Earthbound. If you guys uh, have ever played Earthbound or anything, yeah, like that's that before. the the Ness and uh, yeah, 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 um, Ness and Lucas and are from Lucas, that game. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, I just quickly wanted to give a shout out to that game. It's on. It was on sale on the Switch for like ten dollars. It's easily worth that. Just for like it, <laughs> I've like lot laughed out loud multiple times while like playing through the game and everything. Um, just because there will be a thing. Where, like, you'll go in on this zone, and it'll just be, like, the floor will all be these different colors and everything. It's just, like, the red one will give you instant death. The blue one is water, and the yellow one is electricity. If you walk through electricity in the water, then you'll die. If you do this one, and then, like, you'll walk in there, and they'll just be, like, press this button to see what random outlay you'll have. And then you just click on it, and it's, like, all neutral paths. And so it was, like, you go through this whole, like, monologue of spaces to avoid, and you're, like... Shit. Okay. All right. Here I go. And then it's like randomly see what my order of pot tiles is. And it's like all neutral paths, just straight through. <laughs> That's pretty good. But it's just, it's, it has like a really unique, unique sense of humor to it. It's very, very self referential. Uh, towards other RPGs and everything else that I yeah that's cool because a lot of video games uh, try to be funny and they're not yeah but <laughs> this is actually successful because and I think that what's cool about it is that. It is self it's self referential and is very satirical while also being a valid entry into like an RPG game. Like the actual combat style is unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, basically, it's kind of timing based, where there'll just be this bar across, and you want to hit it in the middle to do like the most damage. But then, whenever you are uh, defending, there's just this little box that pops up, and you're just a heart, and you try and just like avoid oncoming stuff. It's just it's very unique. I've never played any game that has that kind of a combat system before. And you're just you're just trying to take a break from Red Dead. Yeah, I'm just trying to take a break from Red Dead and herding cattle. (laughs) (laughs) Watching Buster Scruggs, I was like, hey, man, maybe I need a break from Westerns in my life. (laughs) Cool. All right. So Undertale uh, on the switch. So I've been playing something. 2K? Jeopardy. You can play at home. Not the game. You just watch it and you, you pause it whenever the question ends. Think about it. You think about it for like 10, 15 minutes. You Google it and then you, you answer and then you count the points every time for yourself. I, 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 don't think, I don't think that's how you're supposed to play Jeopardy. <laughs> that's, how, that's how Ken Jennings did it. That's how I do it. Um, so you guys been watching? Oh, yes. I have actually watched since Jeopardy got put on Netflix last week, I have watched all of it that is on Netflix. Me too. <laughs> nice. How much is, is that? So they do um, two Tournament of Champions is the first collection, uh, two different years for the Tournament of Champions, and then they do the Battle of the Decades, which, which is, is you laugh, which, awesome. Which is lit. Um, nice. It's where they take Tournament of Champions winners from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, oh my God. and it's this huge bracket that they have yeah. where they start in this, they work their way up to a quarterfinal, well, or... Um, 
the matchups will be somebody who won from the 80s, who came up from the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s. They'll play against each other, finally working their way to a grand champion for a million dollars. It's Yeah, it's legendary, dude. The finale of the Battle of the Decades was insane oh, because it's two oh. of the – two. it's probably the top two greatest Jeopardy players of all time. Yeah, Ken nice. Jennings and Brad um, – Brad the Forgotten One. Yeah, <laughs> who's won the most money on yeah, Jeopardy. And has history. beaten Ken every single time and no one likes him, and it's really funny. He's like the charismatic Ken Jennings because yeah, both of geniuses, well, it's because he's, he's like attractive looking. Yeah, but he's just like low-key not. Like no one actually likes yeah. him. People just like Ken. This is a huge deal for me. Like growing up – I watched Jeopardy every single day of my childhood. Like the the Ken Jennings saga, I I worship Ken Jennings. He's still one of my heroes. Like his Twitter is now seventy seven straight, something like that. Yeah, seventy something straight wins. It was and it was like cleanup wins. Like it was like after the first Jeopardy round, it's over. Yeah, he was a fucking legend. Uh, Jeopardy, I think, is the greatest game show of all time. Uh, It is. You know, it's it's called like an intellectual game show, but you can really enjoy it even if you don't know what they're talking about. I mean, there's times where like you know exactly what the answer is, and nobody on the panel I know. does, and you're like, oh, that's that's <laughs> my favorite points. Whenever it'll just be like this round is for like pop culture film directors, and I'm like, I know this. Come on, guys. <laughs> they're just like, eh. yeah, that's the best feeling ever. Uh, and there's so much to enjoy beyond that. I mean, there's Alex Trebek's little quirks. He's, I I, I can do a quick list right here. Uh, First fun little quirk, he's low-key kind of sexist. Oh, it's so. really not that low-key. <laughs> Let's talk about really quickly, every time that there's like two guys and a woman on the panel, he'll just be like, oh yeah, so I heard that you are um, that you work for NASA, and I heard that you're doing all this stuff. The woman comes up, and he'll just be like, so I hear you're having a baby. <laughs> yeah. How is your husband doing? <laughs> it's like, it's so, it's so misogynistic and like just a very insulting way. Every time he wins, he's just like, she won the most games ever for a woman she won the most <laughs> oh money ever God, for a trebek. woman it's like jesus trebek yeah God damn it it's even it's even more low-key than that uh a lot of the time if there's a, a girl winning or even if they get like a question right like a daily double he'll be like yeah he'll be like good, <laughs> good yeah he'll job. be like good for you <clears throat> yeah super, <laughs> so smug uh Alex, whenever he gets the chance to do a foreign accent during a clue, he just goes balls to the wall. That's always so funny. <laughs> yeah. he, he loves doing oh, a French. No. He loves doing an Italian. Uh, Alex, uh, during the little interviews with everyone that they do, which they insist on doing, even though all these people are literally, they're handpicking the most uninteresting people in the world because all they do is like learn trivia. <laughs> Like, oh, yeah, I'm a librarian by day, and then I go home and I read a book. Whoa. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, by day three of them winning, they're just out of things about themselves. So he's just like, so I understand you uh, took a trip. He's like, yeah, I went, like, a couple hours down the road. I stayed in the condo. Uh, Someone uh, said hello. (laughs) Alex is like, great. And then he just walks walks away. No, I love it because there was – point to that there's this one guy who's on there who i could never figure out why but something about this dude i just like i hated him and like i couldn't figure out what exactly it was about this dude that i could not stand and then finally by like his like third or fourth time on the show they're just like so i hear you have a bit of a good luck charm so he's just like yeah so i have my uh i bring my dead stuff dog with me everywhere that i no. go and i was like wait hold the fuck up and he was just like yeah just for a good it's because he's provided me good luck i now named him alex trebark and all it says i was like i hate you i hate you he wasn't named that when he was alive. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, Jeopardy is an amazing show, man. So this is on Netflix. Yeah, and it was I think on it's Hulu. On, I think it's still on Hulu. They might be it's, phasing it out. I think that the episode, a lot of the episodes are the same, which was a little bit of a bummer because I had already seen all of them on Hulu. But Jeopardy is a show that I can honestly rewatch the same yeah. episodes over it's, and over again. And it's a it's, cool selection. Yeah, the Battle of the Decades is great. The Tournament of Champions, one of them's from uh, 2012, and I was like, why do I know these clues? Why have I? And I, I realized that I watched the whole thing when I was yeah. in high school. Oh, nice. I literally uh, shout out to Colby. The guy who, you know Colby? Oh my God, Colby. Always with a little smirk on Colby, that Colby boy. So Gaia hates Colby, and I love Colby. Okay, Gaia, come on. It's a thing. It's just his face. I love him. He just always. He always has a weird little smirk on. If you don't know who we're talking about, just Google Colby Jeopardy. And look and at this, look at this dude's look at his funny face. little face. It is incredible. He is probably oh, yeah. one of my favorite. Gaia I showed, showed you, me. Yeah. Or you and Gaia showed me this. Yeah. Jeopardy legend, man. <laughs> yep. he's, he's really sassy. He's always sassing Alex. That's another one of the best parts of the show is when people sass Alex because Alex has this little thing where he, he's kind of like jokingly about it, but like he's really low key super mad. <laughs> God. The only person who His could eyebrows. The, just... the, the thing, yeah, no. The thing I love about Colby too is I feel like uh, he just he would just like love to hang out with the guy who writes the Jeopardy answers because every time there's like a little joke, he's like, ha ha ha, what is this? <laughs> yeah, like, he like gets the jokes more than everybody else. Hunter just did a really good uh, face <laughs> impression, like no lie. Yeah, yeah this little. Smirk. It's all yeah, it's all in the brows. Uh, it is on Hulu. Hulu has. Uh, the entirety of seasons 28, 30, and 32. Okay. So that's kind of random, um, but they have also the Tournament of Champions. I, yeah, I really enjoy them keeping the tournaments on because there, there are like probably four or five tournaments every year that they could put on Netflix because there's Teachers Tournament, Teen Tournament, College Tournament. Yeah. There's Kids well, Week. Those on are on, yeah, those are on Hulu. I've watched all the Kids Week ones. Um, those are the best to watch because you feel really smart. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> these kids are fucking stupid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's the only time you can win. <laughs> nice. All right. So that's Jeopardy, uh, greatest game show of all time. Um, I've been watching forever. So I talked about this, I think, last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I finished it. It's only eight episodes. So this is on Amazon Prime. It's the Fred Armisen, Maya Rudolph show created by Alan Yang. Um, and it's about a couple living uh, through their relationship and their marriage. Um uh, Again, I don't really want to spoil the details of the show, but I just want to say this could have easily been a two-hour movie. <laughs> it it didn't have to be a four-hour thing because it's eight like half-hour episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could have easily trimmed it down to half the length, and it still would have been great. I, I think it's solid. I just think it's kind of unnecessarily stretched Long. out. I do think uh, that if it had been a movie – they would have omitted my favorite episode of the show, an episode that completely deviates from the main storyline, and we get sort of like a bottle episode of a different couple, completely unrelated from the Maya, Rudolph, and Fred Armisen storyline. It's these two characters that we haven't seen at all, and we get their story for one episode. It's an amazing half hour of TV. One of the best episodes of TV I've seen this year. Huh. Uh, and it's just kind of sandwiched in the middle of this completely different storyline. That's weird. It, and it does serve as um, uh, like what the story that 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 kind of plays out in that episode tees off a big uh, sort of coming to light realization for the Maya Rudolph character. Um, so it does kind of play into the main plot, 
but obviously if they would have made this a two-hour movie that would be the first thing to go so i i love seeing that i love that that exists i think they did a really beautiful job with it it's it's an emotional half hour you get a lot out of it uh it pulls at your heartstrings you get some great performances and i i just thought it was great and the show as a whole i think it's worth watching i don't think it's anything amazing um but it's very cinematic and it's very unique and fred and my are both amazing in it so do you think that it would have been better or worse if it was just a two-hour movie um, like I don't overall, know. not taking aside your like your favorite episode being probably the thing that would be I on think, the chopping block. I think maybe it would have been a little better. Okay. Even though I would have lost just that great episode. Just a little bit episode. too much filler. Yeah, I just think that um, the main sort of point, the the main theme here, is a couple that isn't able to really talk. Like, they don't have good communication with each other. And they've kind of locked themselves into this routine, into this monotony of what their relationship has become, of what their marriage has become. And the whole show, the whole story is them learning, like, how to really talk to each other and how to say things and how to, like, have an argument and how to not... Because basically, like, the Fred character is so nice to the point that he's like really passive aggressive and he just avoids any sort of confrontation at, at all costs. And he is just completely unable to like be real, you know, and be genuine and, and just doesn't want to have a con- any sort of confrontation with his partner. And uh, Maya's character, she feels trapped. She feels like she can't, do anything but but they have they they have this realization at the end where uh, Maya Rudolph's character she basically says like I used you as an excuse uh as a uh, as a barrier to my own self-fulfillment and <gasps> even though she wasn't really doing anything to make her own life better she kept saying that it was because of him because he was so kind of boring and samey and complacent but in reality it's like she had all the power in her to kind of take it upon herself to make her own life better she just is it told, kept telling she, herself that it was blamed, because of him yeah. is it funny no man not <laughs> no. really i mean it has moments of it, good genuine humor but overall it's like this uh conceptual character drama and they're really great like their acting is amazing it's really, really great. Uh, there is there is plenty of humor, uh, but it's it's a relationship drama. Okay. That's that's what the core story is. Uh, I recommend it. It's a pretty easy watch. Eight episodes, eight half hour episodes. Um, but I think again, I think it, it could have easily been a movie, and maybe more people would have watched it. I don't think many people are talking about this or connecting with it at all. Mm. Um, so maybe if it had been a movie. It would have been a little better. And I think that's sort of going to be a, an overall topic on this podcast because um, we're going to be talking about The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which straddles this line between being a, a movie and uh, a TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're in this era where it's like th- those things are just kind of bleeding together. Uh, and this leads into the next thing that I'm going to talk about, which is Outlaw King on Netflix. This is a $90 million movie that Netflix produced. Um, So they're just flexing money uh, on this thing. 
This is directed by David McKenzie, and it stars Chris Pine as Robert the Bruce, who led a Scottish rebellion in the 14th century for Scottish independence. And Outlaw King, um, the, the most fascinating thing about this movie is that it premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival, and people kind of hated it. Like, it, it got a little little panned by critics, and then Mackenzie went back into the edit, and he cut 23 hours out of, 23 minutes out of the movie. I was like, if it's 23 hours that he cut, <laughs> then I would hate it too. Yeah. yeah. No, he cut, he cut 23 minutes out of the movie, and now the version that's on Netflix is... It's like a pretty clean two hours, not two and a half hours. How is it? Um, it's it's solid. It's good. It's not great. It's a lot of death. Meh. It's like just a lot of consistent, over-the-top, <laughs> morbid death. <laughs> well, and so it's like an R-rated type deal? Yeah, very, very R-rated. Um, I would recommend this movie if you're really into like seeing medieval battles and medieval period pieces. Did they look good? Yeah, it looks okay. amazing. Like okay. the budget is spent wisely. You okay. know the the recreation of the time period is it looks pretty damn great. It's just a fucking brutal movie. Like That's... I didn't find much enjoyment in it. Well, okay. So have you seen Hell or High Water? No, okay. I have not. So I was really interested when Outlaw King was coming out um, because I really love Hell or High Water. It kind of got lost in the weeds a couple years ago whenever it came out. It was nominated for Best Picture, mm-hmm. but that was like the nomination that nobody was talking about, and really that was like an amazing like kind of bank robbery type of movie. But that movie is brutal, but it's more so it treats murder almost as like a secondary kind of a thing. And that's what makes it brutal is it's more so about just like these gritty characters and other people are dying. And the fact that they're just almost nonchalant with that certain points, that's what gives it kind of that brutality. So I was assuming that outlaw King would have a little bit more of that kind of aesthetic to it, but it doesn't sound like it sounds like it kind of embraces. Yeah. The it's brutality. I don't know, man. There's this one way. There's this one scene where a character gets like hung and strung up on a on a on a pole and then another character takes a knife and cuts his fucking guts open and you just see his intestines Jesus. and his insides just spill out onto the the ground it's like it's like a hard shit. r man i'm hungry yeah like this this <laughs> that you're gonna say horny but... <laughs> God, so this movie hard. just it doesn't hold back like there's and when they cut out those 23 minutes, they cut out, like, extensive and expensive action battle sequences. And there's still plenty of that left in the movie. Huh. So, um, a, a couple good points on it. I think Chris Pine is great. His Scottish accent isn't, but <laughs> his acting is, is really solid as, as Robert the Bruce. And Aaron Taylor Johnson is, like, one of his uh, supporters, one of his clansmen. And he's great in it. He, like, puts on this crazy nutso face throughout the film and he just really goes into it um but the movie it doesn't really have like strong character work Mm -hmm. um sounds like it (laughs) yeah it's it's just for the most part a lot of just action sequences it opens on an amazing like eight minute continuous shot that establishes the 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 overall story and the characters and the setting and it gives you a perfect sort of uh, table setting of what you're about to see. It's an amazing shot, but the the rest of the movie, it's 
again, it's just a, a lot of relentless death and, and gore. And I didn't really take anything away from it. Yeah. I, I enjoyed seeing it. You know, it's on Netflix. It's you could stream it right now. Um, and it's an expensive looking movie. And you can tell that they put a lot of money into making the, the period feel authentic. Um, it takes place in the same time period as Braveheart. So it's like you huh. kind of can't help but think about William Wallace and, and Braveheart. <laughs> yeah. And they reference William Wallace. He's not in the film. Um, but it, it's if you're if you're into that kind of thing, that era of like Scottish English war and King Edward and all that. If you're um, a little weirdo. <laughs> yeah. But tying back to the point that I was saying earlier about like this sort of in between about a movie and uh, and a show they asked David McKenzie specifically if he would want to make Outlaw King a show because I think that th- something like this would be perfect as like a Game of Thrones style thing where you extend the story out and you dive deep into the characters and you have real connections with the people that you're seeing. But he specifically said that he does not want to do TV because he thinks that like TV uh, wants to trick you into being addicted to it because every episode makes you want to watch the next one. And that he just wants, he prefers the idea of having a single uh, experience, a, a single sitting okay. experience. Um, so, I, I think that's dumb. Yeah, well, that's kind of dumb. I think but what I, he said is dumb. But I mean, I understand. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily agree with the logic behind it. Get but where he's I understand from. why a lot of filmmakers, because movies, it's one thing and then you're done with it. It's not like TVs, which is never ending. Yeah, I think that's might be more of the actual reason. It's just it's a big time commitment to make a TV I show. I don't think it's like, oh, it's trying to mind trick you. I don't. So, it's just like, what? Shut up. One thing uh, I wanted to say uh, <laughs> that I just saw in here is that they Outlaw King had five writers on it. Oh, wow. Always yeah, a good sign. Five yeah. writers, which, which I. I kind of I was hoping because um, he uh, he worked with Taylor Sheridan to write uh, Hell or High Water yeah. and that is an excellent script so I was kind of hoping that he would bring him back on it again. Huh. But he's um, not on like it. it. Yeah. You know, I I really like Chris Pine, but I really don't think that he would get my butt in a seat to see mm. him to see him star in a, like a drama. I don't know. He's like, like a he's, low, um, lower tier Chris for I, you. I don't know. I feel like if this had like a different. I'm just trying to. I'm trying to think of because I've seen all the press for this and all the everything, and I just don't want to watch it. And I think part of it is I don't know if I buy him as that. I think he's a really great. I, actor. I love him. That's the thing. He's always really good, but as like a lead and like yeah. a gritty you thing. You prefer him to be like kind of a supporting. He just yeah. He but has he's kind too of this, attractive to be a yeah, supporting. He, guy. he has this soft uh, like hunky thespian look to him. Yeah, like he he looks like. A Chris Pine type. He was probably like, <laughs> yeah, a Chris Pine type. <laughs> I don't know. I I, th- I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he's great. That's the thing. Yeah. I just don't know if he's going to get well, my I mean, little he, butt into a seat. He kind of, in Hell or High Water, he plays like a co-leading role with Jeff Bridges. And I feel like that's like perfectly suited to him. Yeah, that just works. Just have him like as like, he's technically like a lead, but he's not just the only yeah, face. Yeah, he doesn't, or, have, he or doesn't in have Star to be gritty. Trek. Star yeah, Trek yeah, is yeah. a whole ensemble. ensemble. Yeah, yeah. So. He's very funny. He's great on SNL. He could, let's just put him on SNL. Let's just put more celebrities on SNL. Yeah. That's what they need. Let's have him play. Let's ha- yeah. Uh, Kyle, get out of here. Yeah. You're being replaced by Chris Pine. <laughs> he can be like the George, the ghost of George H. W. Yeah. Bush. <laughs> 
and then like Kate McKinnon is Laura, and they're just like fucking in heaven or oh, something. Yes. That's about on the tier of what SNL is doing these days. <laughs> that that level of satire. Yeah. Wait, are you? Did they hire you? Did they bring yeah. you on? Or yes. Nice. Listen. I think I think Chris is the most underrated Chris because Hemsworth and and. <laughs> Hemsworth and um, Evans get all the love. And even Pratt. Pratt yeah. gets so much love. I think undeservedly so. I was going to say, I feel like Pratt... I mean, I thought Pratt I was Pratt, underrated for a while. Pratt might and now be the Pratt's, worst Chris, honestly. Pratt's gotten overrated. Well, he's point. he's being misused. He's the funniest by far. Oh, yeah. But he's not being used in I that I don't know. Capacity. Hemsworth is kind of shooting up there as no, far as funny Pratt. Chris Pratt is probably one of the top 10 sitcom actors I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, yeah. He, he, to be honest, he, it, yeah, it was an electric thing. It was like the Kramer energy of just like, this yeah. guy is a wild And card. that that comes out in, in Guardians plenty. Yeah, but, but then you watch Jurassic world and you're like no Shoot he me. shouldn't he doesn't need to be in a drama he can go away from the dramas hey man passengers <laughs> no, Dude. no. <laughs> Dude. yeah exactly all he, right he does not need to do that so that's outlaw king watch it if you um if you dare i will say uh warning there is horse death in this movie oh fuck it i'm out yeah there I'm is done. a huge battle at the end where so many horses die so if you're uh, sensitive to that oh yeah just beware really really quick shout out since i don't have anything else before the movie gaia your girlfriend sent my girlfriend allison an a game that's only on ios and she was like you have to play this game so you can tell me what it's about and it's it's about this game is about speaking of horses it is about uh it's basically an anime love story where you fall in love with a horse I'm gonna, I'm gonna who is who is the thing okay is. It's, I'm going to tweet about this. Follow my Twitter at Drew Dietzen. I'm going to send a screenshot because it is a horse who has the body of a horse, but then his face is just an anime guy. Oh. <laughs> I pulled a, It's called it's My stuff, Horse Prince. It's stuff it of nightmares. Why did she send this to my girl? My girlfriend d- is not attracted to me anymore. She's, she's only she's into, just trying to find her horse. She keeps prince. on trying to feed me oats. I don't even like oats. Um... <laughs> Well, this the this... picture of it is like anime face on top of a horse, and the horse is patting a girl's head and says, "Will you be my owner?" I think over the next oh, few weeks and myself. months, Hunter and Drew, you guys are going to start slowly metamorphosizing into a horse. Yeah, in the name of communism, much like Jeff Goldblum in the 1986 <laughs> oh, movie. I thought you were going with uh... the fly. I thought you were going with the, you know, the movie. Sorry to bother you. <laughs> oh, spoilers. They, oh, no. Sorry. Um, uh, but yeah, I saw The Fly for the first time. It was on Hulu. Won't get too much into it. Um, I do. Actually, I've never seen The Fly. Yeah, actually. it was the first time I saw it. Um, but I always do this thing where whenever certain movies are expiring on Netflix or Hulu, I always try to catch them before they get taken off. So... Uh, the fly just got taken off of Hulu and I caught it on the very last day that it was on there. Um, so this is a classic. This is pretty much a perfect film. The only things that don't age well are this one supporting actor. He's like, uh, cause the movie's kind of a romance, uh, where this reporter falls in love with Jeff Goldblum's, uh, scientist character. And there is like a third, there's like a love triangle going on, like her boss, uh, used to have an affair with her. They used to they used to be a thing, and he still wants to be a part of her life. But she's like, no, I'm dating Jeff Goldblum. Uh, and that actor, he he's pretty bad. Um, otherwise, the movie's great. It's it has a couple like classic '80s pitfalls where the tech is very 
the science. Oh, yeah. It's very mumbo jumbo. The the computer tech is like really corny. Um but I I am so glad I got a chance to see this movie. But there's effects though. The Cronenberg Dude, effects. Cronenberg is a fucking master. I've seen I I'd never seen the movie, but I've always watched like the YouTube, like the little it's clips unreal. of the movie and everything else. And it's an, it's amazing how well it looks in yeah. 2018. And it's all practical. Yeah. Everything about it is practical. And the best part about it is that um he slowly transforms into this grotesque fly creature and every single time you see him it's like slightly different and the makeup gets just slightly more and more intricate to the point where at the end of the movie it's like this horrifying horrifying creature um this i i just think that this is one of the best movies of the 80s and one of the best you know, kind of horror, body horror movies of all time. The effects are amazing. Go- Jeff Goldblum is incredible. He's he, so good. He keeps this, this like, dark sense of humor throughout the film where he's, like, transforming into this horrible creature and he can still just crack jokes. I feel, it's so good. I feel like our generation doesn't really have a full appreciation for how good of an actor Jeff Goldblum is because, like, starting in with his character in Jurassic Park is, like, the main thing that our generation yeah. knows him from. And then, like, from then on, he just kind of was, like, a meme, basically. Yeah, he's, he's been like, coasting. That he's just... I mean, he hasn't really tried so hard, but, like, young Goldblum was incredible. He was such a great fucking actor and just... Yeah. doesn't get the recognition he deserves. I, a lot of people are just going to know him from Thor Ragnarok. They're going to be like, oh, it's that guy from Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> Weird guy. Uh, all right. The last thing I want to talk about before we take a break real quick is the the Big Lebowski. The Big Lebowski. Another so um, ex- Hulu expiring movie that I caught before it left. Mm. But now it's on Netflix. They yeah. put it on Netflix. So, yeah, this is like a top three uh, most iconic <coughs> Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. It is. It's their, their biggest comedy. It's strange because this movie, it um, it kind of gets a little hate from cinephiles sometimes. There's like there's different factions of like cinephiles and film Twitter. There's people that have a real appreci- appreciation for this movie and like the intricate layered script it has. And there's other people that are like, oh, this movie's been like reappropriated by college bros who just wanna put posters of it in their dorm well that's that's annoying people that's the same people who liked rick and morty a year ago and then it became uncool and now they don't like it like they're missing the point do you like the movie or do you not like the movie right like forget about everything else forget about the noise just watch it and it's fine for mainstream audiences to have an appreciation for this movie even if it is superficial because at the surface this movie is about nothing it's about some guy it's a classic coen brothers stu- a movie about some guys just being totally some idiots being totally in over their heads yeah it's yeah. kind of it, in a way it's almost kind of about nothing yeah like it's just about some characters but really it's not about much of anything it's about the dude just being like misidentified as somebody else and yeah that's kind of and where this the whole conspiracy off. that's not even real you get to the end of the story and you're like well there was no money there was no kidnapping what so like happened? you're just watching you're <laughs> pretty much just watching like a segment of this person's life. I love this movie. Oh, it's this, so good. I I really have to sit down and think about it, like what my favorite Coen Brothers is, but this is definitely like top three. It's like this Fargo, No Country for Old Men, Brother Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's insane. It, those the are Coens like top. The tier. Coens have made like multiple 
masterpieces. Yeah. There's no other... I mean, maybe there's a handful of directors that you can, like, look at their filmography and, like, count multiple movies that are just absolute home runs. Yeah, they're and so spaced out in their career, too. Yeah. Like, decades apart, they have these, like, stunner movies. Uh, this, Yeah, I think this movie's pretty great. I think the main thing it does right, uh, and this is something I've talked about a lot, like, the advantage that TV has over movies in terms of comedy is that they have time to just kind of chill. And that's where comedy happens. It's in like the in-between moments of life. Yeah. Uh, and that's what this movie, this movie has like barely any plot. So it's really just funny dialogue scenes and just absolute banger performances by Buscemi, John Goodman and uh, oh, so Jeff Bridges. Bridges. That trio is unbelievable. But like, also, I mean, there's also like on the fringes like Sam Elliott's in here. Yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The cast is insane. John Tuturo. And yeah, th- and they just, they really figured it out. It, it almost, it reminds me of l- watching uh, more like, it has like the energy of like a children's movie al- almost, even though it, it deals with like drugs and murder and all this and sex. It just has the energy of like, you know, this is it doesn't really matter that much. Yeah. You know, and exactly. I, I really appreciate that because these well, are it's nihilism. Nihilism yeah. is like a recurring thing oh, yeah. in Cohen. Yeah, we're going to oh, talk yeah. about that plenty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, exactly. And it just. Yeah. And I I appreciate that because even though they do address that topic a lot, they don't always do it in a way that's like casual like they have masterpieces that talk about nihilism and then they have this really dumb goofy comedy that talks about nihilism too in such a different way like the coen brothers could be a lot more up their own assholes than they are you know what i mean at this stage of their careers even when they made this movie they were big like that's how you can tell like how truly nihilistic both of them are that they aren't up their own ass about this yeah otherwise they would be but this is just so genuinely like just how they're like ah, i mean who really fucking cares yeah. about any of this yeah and this this movie has a lot of iconic lines because i mean they're I, one Dude, of their greatest the screenplay is yeah it's so damn good it's, like oh, this this movie right the reason why it's so rewatchable at least in my opinion is because every time you rewatch this you can tell how detailed and thought over every single line and every single joke is there's callbacks to callbacks to callbacks that you would never catch on your first viewing oh yeah i mean this is probably uh i mean they do coen brothers do that a lot in their movies too where they make a lot of like self-referential kind of stuff and this is probably the most referential movie that they've ever made where it's just all it's like always kind of spinning Mm -hmm. on itself it's like a spiral yeah exactly it's it's a wormhole really it's like what you're going down and that's why this movie like every time i watch this movie there's like a different scene or like a different like character interaction that like sticks out in my head that's why this movie is this movie is damn near perfect yeah it's hard to really like pick apart this this movie at one point it becomes like a porno acid trip <laughs> like a I'm bowling like with the bowling ball <laughs> it's, it's nuts and then of course there's the moment with sam elliott on at the bar mm-hmm. uh where you kind of their conversation kind of just encapsulates the whole movie and just how you know we're all here and nothing matters um but the the other thing i was going to bring up is the the death of donnie you know this oh idea God, yeah. that like and we're definitely going to get into this with uh, Buster Scruggs, but because given the fact that like nothing really happens in this movie, one of their best friends dies at the end for nothing. He ha- he has a heart attack for nothing, 
and it's just so sadistic and like darkly darkly comic and humorous that you have this these three guys who are caught up in some nonsense shit and then one of them doesn't make it to the end of the movie it's yeah. It's so fucked. Yeah. And then he spills the the ashes yeah, and they and just go all over yeah. the dude. That's a classic scene. Oh, it's so good. It's it's a really yeah, it's a it's a really really good movie because it's it's low key like the script is worked over so hard and it doesn't feel like that. And that's something a lot of their movies have. They have this perfect amount of writtenness. Where it's not like overdone, it's not like just absurd dialogue that's like too much, like Sorkin type. Yeah, yeah. And not that wordy, I'm wordy. not that yeah. I'm shitting all over him. There's a place for him, but I I prefer their style where like the amount of writing being done is just perfect. Like there's the- there's one joke that I loved uh, when I watched this time. Uh, it's actually it's H W. God rest his. Uh, his cursed soul um, <laughs> where he's like, this aggression will not stand. And like the dude is at the, at the cash register at the supermarket and he sees that on the TV. And then later on when he's interacting with the big Lebowski with the other Lebowski, he says that he's like trying to fight for his rug that got yeah. peed on. And he's like, this aggression would not stand, man. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, it's things like that, that, uh, yeah. you know, no other writer would take the time to, to do that. And it's only the Cohen brothers who are like, you know what? It's yeah. the we're we're gonna take the time to like put you in this nineties, early night or yeah. what is it, late, early nineties time mm-hmm. and just make a stupid joke yeah, out of it. Their their process is so cool. I, I'm sh- you guys may have read about it, but like it's always since I was a little kid I would read about it and it fascinates me. Where like some they interviewed some uh woman who worked really closely with them and she said essentially they don't care what they accomplish in a day. It's it's they only move on if they get it perfectly right. So like they'll work like a twelve hour day writing a script and they'll finish with one word, oh, like what? SpongeBob when he's writing the paper and he just yeah. writes the. It's like that. Like they're <laughs> like, all right, we came up with the right adjective there. All right, nice. let's let's start again tomorrow. Nice. Like, and they write together. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. As a as a duo. It's yeah. That's just always been so cool to me. They're like, no, we we know when it's right and we're not gonna just rush by. Yeah. Like that's super cool. This was their follow up to Fargo. So they, I, th- I think Fargo won Best Picture. Yeah, um, and this movie was kind of a flop. It was kind of panned. Yeah, yeah. it was um, people because people saw it and they just thought it was stupid. They didn't actually like upon release. People didn't realize the genius in the screenplay. Um, the uh, the podcast film spotting in honor of um, I don't know in honor of what, but they're doing a they do top fives and they're doing a top five of like best. Uh, best best picture follow-ups so uh like you know movies when a director wins best picture what is the best next film after that and i don't know probably in honor of beale street yeah Yeah. that's what it is beale street and um quaron with uh or did no quaron didn't win best picture for gravity no, gra- yeah, Gravity that's not the best picture. best picture. No way. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, dear guy, I hope uh, it didn't. But, uh, I mean, Coen Brothers, they won Best Picture for Fargo. Steve and then Queen. Widows. Yeah, that's Widows, yeah. And then they won Best Picture for No Country, and then they followed that up with Burn After Eating. I love Burn After Eating, but it's nowhere near as good yeah. as uh I really as like Lebowski. that movie. Like, Burn yeah. After Eating is great. I thought it was going to be a lot worse than it was based on reception, but that's because the Coens. Uh, yeah, they're so good. And honestly, Burn After Reading... I, 
I really want to do a Cohen's rewatch because I think that there are like so many recurring through lines in all of their movies. I mean, there definitely are. Yeah. And there's even like recurring actors too, you know, obviously. Um, They're not as notable as like Wes Anderson. Right. Where he just has like his boys that he, he brings in. Wes every Anderson time, has but... one cast. <laughs> yeah. And he just brings that cast yeah, and, in and yeah. puts different and one, makeup on him. Yeah. And one plot. <laughs> <laughs> but with, uh, with Burn After Reading, like that whole movie the the idea is like very similar to Lebowski how it's like uh, uh JK Simmons character at the end he's like well what did we learn oh i don't fucking know <laughs> what what did we learn yeah don't do it again do what again i don't know <laughs> <laughs> good, so, good stuff yeah so we're going to take a break and when we get back we're talking more cohens with the ballad of buster scruggs we will be right back Cause right now that's the ball where we be trained And if you're coming back to find me You better have a good end Shoot it So you guys talk about your little video games and plenty, right? Uh-huh. I, I want to talk some more about this game, that this anime horse boyfriend game. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Did you download it? No. So, yeah. So, Allison's playing it, and she's she's as she's playing it, she's like, please, I just want to delete this. And I was like, no, you got to get good screenshots and send them to me so I can post them on Twitter because it's so funny. So, here's, here's what the gameplay goes like. You get this job working for a man who looks like a potato. Uh... <laughs> shaped like a, he's an oval you're working for an oval everyone else is just an anime character and then this guy's an oval and he's like well howdy you want to be the ranch hand uh and work for this horse and then the horse comes up and he has the face of an anime character but the body of a horse it's the funniest looking thing you've ever seen and like the all it's just a bunch of dialogue scenes where you're choosing the right dialogue to say to him to make him fall in love with you and you have to he's like it's all like tricks here's the like i i'm bad at this game i can't make this horse fucking fall in love with me like i desperately want him and i can't have him you're trying to and i want i know i think yeah i think he can smell it on me yeah horses have good senses you gotta be a little bit of a (laughs) douchebag yeah he's like he'll be like oh do you like it when it's rainy out and i'm like well you're a horse you probably don't like it when it's rainy because you're outside so i was like no and he's like Oh, that's a shame. It would you would have looked really cute caught in the rain. <laughs> and then he like lo- he loves you like fifteen percent less. <laughs> oh my god! And every every question is a trick question like that. I'm always wrong. So he doesn't love me. I got down to zero percent. And sounds then, like you should just say yes to all of his questions. Yeah. And then here's here's the dreamy part. This isn't just a normal anime face horse. This is a race horse. Hmm. So he he's fit. He works out. Ooh, uh, he's buff. And in fact, you have to work him out to get him ready for the next race. And what? so what that entails, this is this is where Allison just deleted the app. This is because this, this gameplay of like getting him ready for the big race. It's not just like him, you, like you're controlling him running laps or whatever. Because you know that's what horses do. They just run in a fucking field. Yeah. What there's he's standing in an open field, and it's like whack a mole. A series of treadmills pop up on the screen. <laughs> Horse treadmills in an open field. <laughs> 
and you have to click the treadmill and then he runs on it for about two seconds and then the treadmill disappears and then another pops up and you're like okay this is a strange choice but you know just a couple You'd times think that, that would actually slow you down if you're in a race yeah. and just like oh i'm stuck in place running on a treadmill it's yeah well you're training him so it's like oh tre- but horses don't run on treadmills <laughs> what it's what is this game called again what is it hunter I hold on. Wait, yeah, you look it up. So anyway, you're my like anime boyfriend, my no. anime horse. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you're like, okay, that's a strange choice. I guess I'll get through this really quick so I can get back to the funny dialogue scenes. You have to r- go through about 150 treadmills where literally there's no skill. It's just clicking a treadmill. It, it goes away. Clicking another one. Here we go. My horse prince. My horse. <laughs> <laughs> I can't recommend this enough. Um, I spent all my money on on the uh, in app purchases, so I can't afford Red so, Dead anymore. <laughs> I I wonder why they didn't just make him a centaur, because his face is a human. It's just the head. Yeah, it's just the face, <laughs> and then the whole horse neck and body. <laughs> why not just go full centaur, dude? This is the this is the funniest. It was like the best hour of my life watching her play this. And then eventually I had to like leave and she was like, I have to delete this now because if if no one's here and I'm still playing it, then I'm just a furry. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's a good point. Oh, um, uh, OK. Well, we're back. My horse, Prince. <laughs> we're talking The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is now streaming on Netflix. So before we get into the movie, I just want to talk about how big of a deal this is, because I think I'm coming around to a take that there is something to be said about us being able to watch the new Coen's brothers movie in our pajamas at home with the press of a button without having to drive anywhere and sit in a theater full of disrespectful people who are going to be on their phones and farting and munching on starburst or whatever. So there's something, there's something special here. Listen, I don't only agree I'm going to expand on this next week because I have, I have a take I'm going to throw down. Okay. Which You're is, working through it. I mean, I can just spoil now. It's essentially that I don't like going to the movies. Oh, <laughs> whoa. Okay. And you kicked off this movie podcast. I don't care. I, if, if, I could, if I could do this every fucking week, yeah. I would. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. I spend way less money. I don't have to drive somewhere. It's not three hours because it's not driving there, driving back. I don't have to spend $8 on a popcorn, which is stupid as fuck. Last year, Netflix only had Bright as their big movie to promote. That was it. Which, That's all they had. This year, you got Outlaw King, Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and coming in a couple of weeks, Roma, the new Alfonso Cuaron movie. And I think that something is something special is happening here where Netflix has been putting out so much garbage that I've been dismissing and dismissing their original content. But this month, I watched 14th Century Scottish War Epic. Now I watched the new fucking Coen Brothers movie. And next is the new Alfonso Cuaron movie. Like, that's big. Okay, Something's happening so here. I do agree with you guys i enjoyed that i could just watch this in my bed whenever i woke up yesterday morning i could just wake up turn on buster scruggs however i don't necessarily i'm not as gung-ho about it just because you say that like yeah you know you don't have to deal with other people on their phones and everything else but i think about other people in their homes and while i was watching this i treated it like i was in a theater i didn't have my phone on me or anything 
but that's not the way that the majority of the population deals with these pause things it, now. Go take a shit. And yeah. I think that, um, especially for this one, because it is a Western, it does drag, and we're really going to talk about a lot during Roma because that is a foreign movie with subtitles. People are going to dismiss it because they're just like down there on their phones. They're like, oh, I have to keep reading to watch this movie. I don't care about it. This doesn't really, I mean, it's Coen Brothers, so it has a big, uh, it has a little bit grandiose to it, but I don't think it's going to be the same way as Roma is going to have, mm-hmm. because people are talking about Roma is Black like and white foreign one film. of the biggest, it just like feels huge. It's like Call Me By Your Name last year, where it's just like you want to see this on a big screen. And you're not really going to get that same experience. I'm hoping. Yeah, that not Ro- everyone has a huge. TV I'm hoping or, that Roma will, because uh, it is getting uh, released in some theaters. I'm hoping that we'll at least get like the NZN or something here in town mm-hmm. um, to see it on a theater. Because I would really rather watch that on a theater as opposed to at home. Netflix um, is being really stingy with their rules, though, but, for showing that movie. Yeah, but I wish. I see. It's it's kind of I'm conflicted because. I honestly, I don't think, I can't really imagine, despite the fact that this is Coen Brothers, I can't really see people ever watching. Like, I feel like if this got released in theaters, nobody would watch it. Or any major studio Who would sign off on this? Yeah, yeah. yeah, They're just like, well, it's like six Western Twilight Zone episodes. No, do they all tie in together? No, not really. Now, only Netflix would make this. Well, and that's why I think that the benefits of this being on Netflix heavily outweigh the drawbacks. Like, I can't control anyone else being on their phone, but I can control whether or not I'm on my phone right. when I watch it. And I can control if anyone else is talking. If you live with yourself or one other person, you have way more control in your own house than you do in a movie theater. Yeah. And you can turn the lights off. Yeah, you can pause it, which is actually good because I poop a lot. I've been pooping <laughs> like way yeah. too much. <laughs> Uh, you should probably go to a doctor. You pooped no, four good. times that's since healthy. we started this podcast. I, I go take a dump at like half the movies. I go. It's I watch in the theaters. I'm not even joking. <laughs> but but it's. I don't know. I just. I liked it so much more. I really enjoyed this. Experience. I could watch it. At like I had to watch it at one a.m. because I got home from work. Yeah, and it, it's boom. It's, it's right so there. flexible. And here's the other big thing. I have had more people at my uh, where I work come up and tell me about this movie than any other movie this year, especially more than any other everyone movie. Everyone has Netflix. Everybody has Netflix. Yeah, aside from like you know the Avengers, which everyone's gonna see. Mm-hmm. But like, I had a, a regular at the, this bar I work at who's he's in like his late fifties, and he's like, "Hey, do you have a minute, Drew? I I got to tell you this new movie on Netflix called The Ballad of Buster <laughs> Scruggs." And I was like, "Is he, your coworker Sam Elliott?" Yeah. What, what was that listen, listen, buddy. <laughs> I was just like, this is like special. I had four different people, very different people. But guess what? When you pull up Netflix, which everyone has and everyone pulls up on like a multiple times a week basis, this is the first thing that pops up, at least for a day or two. Yeah. Like it's it's kind of I don't know. It felt special to me this week. Mm-hmm. Everyone was telling me to watch it. And I was like, I'm so excited. I will yeah. say one thing that I am happy about, and this isn't meant to come across as like a humble brag or anything else like that, but I feel like in this day and age of Netflix getting all these original films and everything, I'm so glad that I have like a sound bar and like an yeah. actual home entertainment system with a big like 50 inch flat screen and everything to actually watch it. Because I still. That way, I don't feel like... I'm not watching this on my cell phone. Like, mm-hmm. I still feel like I'm getting or more tablet. of a theatrical Hunter, experience yeah. here. Hunter is, uh, if you don't... He's an investment banker at Goldman Sachs. <laughs> I am? And he's just rolling in money, <laughs> and he won't shut up. <laughs> he's, a, he's a horse race gambler. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> only only anime hor- uh, yeah, horse. Yeah, he started a which, by website. the way, guys, buy now on Justices for the for the Kentucky Five Hundred. <laughs> for the Kentucky okay, right now at the eighteen to one. You're making a horse run five hundred laps. <laughs> they would die. My horse prince is gonna die. Okay, you're gonna kill my boyfriend. Let's get into the movie. Um, <laughs> I had I had one one last thought about the whole Netflix thing, which is that maybe one day Netflix will start buying theaters, and we'll get some sort of like compromise between that's weird uh, going to the movies and having it at home. So that's maybe bizarre. there's something. Do you there just like get like, in by like they like scan like your membership yeah, of Netflix to and get they, in? They can have like some sort of of uh, rotating thing where like. Um, maybe Outlaw King can show once a year on on the same day. You know, yeah. they'll like they'll be like, "Hey, so we're gonna show all thirteen hours of the new Daredevil season." And straight. I would, yeah, whoever shoots themselves first wins. <laughs> once uh, but, a year subscription <laughs> to Netflix. Let's let's get into the movie. So this apparently yeah. the Coen Brothers haven't been fully uh, transparent about this, but apparently this was supposed to be a show, mm. uh, like a six episode miniseries. And they decided to shorten it into a into a film, but there's been uh, conflicting reports on that. Apparently, they've said that it was always intended. Yeah, to be that's a film. what the Coen Brothers. I guess it was originally reported by like studios or something mm-hmm. like that. That whenever it was pitched to them, it was supposed to. It was coming across as like an HBO show, but now the Coen Brothers have said that yeah. it was always intended to be like this. So I think I kind of lean more towards trusting the coen brothers on that it's it's (laughs) six short films it's six little short films all put together into a neat package um but let's give our overall thoughts and then we'll break down each individual story in the spoiler section so what did you guys think overall i really enjoyed this despite i don't think it was perfect i think it has drawbacks to it uh but I th- I was glued to the TV I for for whatever reason I think the main reason that I love this movie and this isn't even spoiling so we we get six stories here I think that the thing Loki that the Coens are best at is introducing new characters and new settings yeah mm-hmm. because they do this I talked about with Widows last week they do this thing with the revealing of information where like ten minutes into a scene you finally understand what's happening and so you get that in every single scene the beginning of all of these scenes are fucking gold yeah uh, the endings are not always gold yeah <laughs> um, but overall I I enjoyed the experience well I mean and to that point the coen brothers are masters of dialogue like you brought yeah. up earlier that like they're they find a way to make each of their characters uh almost feel like they're in the same universe as o- other coen brothers feel films but feel wholly unique from each other like you're not going to like mix up and be like which movie was uh, about, was Buster Scruggs in? Like now, but like they each like fall into their own zone, but they yeah. all have the same Coen Brothers ness to them. It's where so it's, crazy. Yeah, it's very smart dialogue, but it's not in your face smart dialogue. They still they feel like people. There's one point uh, in the movie where there's like um, where some characters are saying something where they say something along the lines of just like we watch things because um, they these characters are like us but they're not quite like us. Exactly. And that's kind of sums up everything about the Coen brothers and the way that they construct their characters. Yeah. I I loved this movie. I thought it's yeah. I thought it's great. I honestly had a great time. I the thing that's keeping me from really calling it one of the best movies of the year is just because I hate doing this, but I know that the Coen brothers can just put out way better 
uh, mm-hmm. content than this. Like they have made, like I said earlier, they've made fucking masterpieces well, yeah, this before. Is, this is the fatal flaw of them is we're always comparing everything they make to the shit I, that's yeah, like yeah. incomparable. So it's like on, on at face value, it's an amazing movie. It's, it's beautifully shot, beautifully acted, beautifully written. Like every component of it is, is magnificent, but I, I don't know. Something about it didn't click fully for me because I've seen their other work before mm-hmm. and I know how much better they can do. Okay. Even yep. though this is an amazing movie, it's a great movie all around. I I just think that they can do better. I think that there's certain things that they uh in terms of like um uh just giving you a character moments or or story moments, uh humor, drama, uh Again, with the nihilism and the death, because death is a huge uh, factor in this film. Um, I've just seen it better in some of their other work. So, um, to your point, I, I'm not going to lie, like, I was a little bit let down with this movie. Um, I still think that it looks beautiful, um, but I think that it's almost, I did have such high expectations with the Coen Brothers filmography that... It's kind of growing on me the more that I think back on it and stuff like that. But I, in the moment, it kind of just felt like the Coen brothers were just kind of, they were like coasting through this movie. Mm-hmm. Like this didn't seem, I feel, I almost feel like there's a reason why they took this project. Not only just because they probably would have been harder for them to find a studio to fund this for a big theatrical release. But it was almost like they took this to Netflix because they're like, yeah, whatever. We're not going to try and win Best Picture with this one. Yeah. Let's just kind of just kind of get this one out there. They said that they've been sitting on this idea for like ten years or something like oh, that. Wow. So they probably just wanted to put it out there. Um, I one of the things that kind of one of the major things that hold me back is I really I think that you could easily cut out two of the six of these. Okay. Um, and kind of extend other ones? Or just... Yeah, well, extend other ones or just don't make it two and a half hours. Make it a clean two. Yeah. Like, I really think... I'd I would clean two. I'd like to see a little bit more, but I really think that there are probably... I think that there are two exceptional ones. Um, one that is really, really good, and then another one that's pretty good. And then one that is kind of... I could totally dismiss it. And the other one, which is so deeply upsetting that I just really, I could not like it. And we'll talk about specifically what it is, but like that one just like made me, it put me in such a bad headspace. I, kn- I know exactly which one you're It just about. like, it, it really deeply, deeply upset um, me. But see, yeah. that's, that's, <laughs> kind just, of, that's so kind of what fun. I've been, that's kind of what I've been grappling with uh, with this movie is that the Cone brothers made something here that is so, uh, depressing like the, all of these stories are like really just morbid and full of death that there is like this slight just again nihilistic like darkly humorous thread throughout yeah. this movie that but some I, of them and i feel like some of them succeed and some of them are like does have a pure like nihilistic humor and others of them like don't yeah. really recover from I, the morbidity. i will agree that that is a, a very fair criticism and i did feel that in in some of the stories where I just couldn't help but be like, damn, this is a little too depressing. Well, okay, here's the thing. So, runtime wasn't that big of a problem for me because we were getting new stories throughout. But I think that the underlying theme, like we said, of all their movies, of nihilism, especially in this movie, that's not unique anymore. 
Nihilism mm. has infected every yeah. facet of pop culture. It's in every meme. Oh, I guess I'll die. Like that is not, and partially because of them, them and Seinfeld were like the godfathers of bringing this. Oh, everything is pointless aspect into our pop culture. But now it's in every show, every movie. Like we get a little bit of that every single day. And just as a nation, we've kind of like matured and lost our gods. And we're kind yeah. of, in general, we're more nihilistic now. So I feel like, there were a couple of things where I couldn't find any themes other than that, other than everything is pointless. In the few, there were the other few of them, I could get other things out of it as yeah. well. It wasn't just a broad, like, oh, this is all dumb. It was like, there were more specific, it was either like a parable or like, you know, uh, just like different type, like an allegory almost, mm-hmm. where there's something on top of the nihilism, and those I really appreciated. Some some sort of deeper statement about society that they're trying to make. Yeah, just just yeah. because if if all you get out of watching twenty minutes of something is that everything is pointless, <laughs> then like six times in a row, it's just kind of like it's been done so much at this yeah. point, and it started in the nineties, so it, it's not that old. But I mean, the pacing of trends in entertainment moves at the speed. Of lightning right now. Yeah. So, I mean, there's also the point that Hunter made earlier that they've been sitting on this idea for like the better part of a decade. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. maybe if they would have made it 10 years ago, obviously Netflix wasn't around back then, but it could have been, it could have felt a little fresher perhaps. Um, I, I also wanted to say that I know that this was never the intention, but I feel like it also it would have made it better if not necessarily these stories don't have to directly tie into each other, but I almost feel like it would have been better if it was like, there's a through line between all these, but instead it was like different parables that don't necessarily share the same value where I thought that this movie was going to go was, um, I thought that the way that the first short ends, I thought we were going to pick up with the guy who is left there. And I feel like if they would have done that and then keep going to the next thing, I thought that that, because that's where originally I thought it was going. I was like, yes, I am yeah. all fucking yeah. in on this. I, I One character agree. shows up at the very end, and then now it's his story. Now it's his story. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I kind of agree. That, yeah, that kind of ties into what I was saying, because the thread tying these together was pretty loose at times. Yeah. And I was expecting a little bit more of a thread, even though I didn't need, like... I didn't need like it to be like super explicit, but even if it was just a thematic thread that yeah. was not so broad. Yeah. I, think, I think the, the thread here is is the the cohen's hopelessness in in humanity yeah they're just, they're just the idea that like hey we're all gonna die and no matter what you think yeah no matter how optimistic or stupid or intelligent or negative like no matter what your ideology is you're gonna die i just like and i just wanted i i wanted just a little bit more i mean maybe that's could just be partially my fault with it going in with a little bit of the wrong headspace for this, I should have known it's Coen Brothers. It's yeah. going to be Hunter, pretty dour Hunter came in with a lust for life. And- I came in <laughs> watching the entirety of SpongeBob, and I was like, I'm going to get the exact same tone in this. Yeah. That's your fault, man. Yeah, yeah. No, that was my fault. I, I do think that um, this doesn't quite work as, like, a film yeah. in, the, in the traditional sense of the word. It works more as, as like, this new thing. It's just a new uh, work of yeah. of streaming video. I don't know. Like this is this is the Coen Brothers' first digitally shot 
movie. It's it's shot by Bruno Del Bonel. And it looks beautiful. Yeah, I will say the cinematography in this movie is fantastic. This is a, a French DP. Uh, he did Inside Lewin Davis with them, but that was on, yeah. on film. So, listen, Allison, shot- if you're listening... That's why French DP is in my history. <laughs> it has nothing to do with anything else. I'm so sorry, babe. He's also he also shot Darkest Hour, uh, Big Eyes, Another beautiful looking movie, um, Amelie, Across the Universe. Oh wow! So he's 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 done some some really interesting um, yeah. work with his cinematography. But I think his work here is um, I I feel like it's gonna be passed over and completely underrated in awards i don't i feel like this is one of those movies that's probably not going to get much love in awards but i think the cinematography in this movie Dude, is amazing like, despite how dour this movie was from the majority of it i i could not look away i was so into it and but, i think mostly like we said the writing is yeah. you know they have an extremely unique voice that is able like you said hunter you said it really well like they they create these unique characters but they all have the same little thing about them they mm-hmm. they all have a similar sensibility and i really could not get enough of just like establishing shot it's just a bunch of people around a dinner table and you have like five minutes before you understand what's happening. Yeah. Like I, fu- yep. they are so good at that. I can't even comprehend how good they are. It's, at that. It makes Every you almost time. wonder because it almost just comes off so effort- effortlessly that you're like, why doesn't everybody just do this? Why yeah. do we have to have exposition dumps and things? Exa- if the Coen brothers can just so excellently put you in the zone without is, using exposition. And even, and even just a little look or a little a little line or just a small moment like it just tells you everything that you need to know there without like, without spoiling there's this moment where one character is uh gonna be hung uh on the gallows with some other characters <laughs> and he turns to the guy on his on his left and he's like first time it's like <laughs> it's just so shit like that is like um oh my god i just want to clap <laughs> i clapped at my screen <laughs> they yeah they have such a gift for that um and it's I I don't I can't really think of a parallel in filmmaking of someone who can do that. It reminds me a lot of a uh, really this is going to sound corny at first, but really really good long form improv. Ooh. If you look up, I'm not talking anything you can see where we are. I'm talking about shit you can only see in like Chicago and L.A. Uh, at like Second City Theater, where there's this show. It's it's T.J. and Dave. One of them is like one of the Sonic guys. They do these scenes that are transcendent because when they start, there is no idea. There is no, they, they just kind of look at each other and like, they kind of make little faces. Then one of them makes like a a choice and one of them's like, all right, I'm angry. And then the other one's like, all right, let's figure out why you're angry. (laughs) And then like 10 minutes in, you have the funniest scene you've ever seen. And it starts with nothing. That's what all of these reminded me of. It it was like I was watching improv almost. That's a good comparison of like, that kind of puts you, it's a very similar kind of headspace. Well, that's, that's a, that's a really common strategy of writing. You know, writing is kind of like improv. Oh, it you is. Know, you're it's sitting at a computer. It's improvising, but a lot of it is bad improv because you have the structure. Like UCB, the you know the fathers of modern improv. What they brought into it was abandoning that structure. They abandoned the the unknowingness of it all, and they were like, no, you got to come into your sketch with a game that you want to play. You got to come in with something like, hey, you know, you really should have invited me to your wedding, and then there's an argument. You got to come in with that, like. They come in with nothing, and they the patience that the Coen brothers have with their scenes 
that's why the old west is such a good setting for them that's why they have a lot of movies set in yeah, the past true things grit, that are yeah because they true grit yeah. even no country is very western style. yeah because they really take their time and it's just the perfect setting in the old west because you know if red dead redemption 2 taught me anything it's that you take your goddamn time in the west you gotta clean your gun or else <laughs> yeah. it won't fire correctly yeah my yeah. favorite my favorite one out of all of them was probably the 20 minute one uh where it's the guy just brushing his horse for, <laughs> for 20 minutes <laughs> <laughs> if anything, Red Dead Redemption taught me that cattle rustling means uh, stealing people's cattle and that it's punishable by hanging. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that, that is oh, applicable. Um, <laughs> one thing before I forget, uh, I didn't really think this was that big of an di- issue, but I felt it worth mentioning. Uh, Dave Chen of the Slash, Slash Filmcast said that one of his biggest complaints is that this movie doesn't uh, treat Native Americans fairly, oh, that the depiction yeah. of Native Americans is pretty... Uh, dated and a little backwards um it didn't really it wasn't too distracting for me but i i feel like that that's a good point it's something i definitely noticed it yeah because it was something when the coen brothers are so inventive with how they can kind of uh display certain things it's kind of one of those things where it's like yeah every native american is savage we've yeah. seen that in literally well, every Western i was hoping movie. that they would have maybe a native american character to give a perspective that's well, kind of what i was th- whenever it was established in one of the early um i believe it was in the second one that you see native americans as savages i was hoping that one of the shorts would be focused around a native american mm-hmm. um, like well yeah that honestly that's a interesting idea specifically because the a lot of these sketches were very minimalistic on the dialogue and those were the better ones in my opinion yeah. mm-hmm. like they can they could make a whole scene with no words and it would be great it's sad that uh westworld had an episode that had a better uh depiction of native <laughs> americans this year <laughs> than oh, the coen brothers it, and it's not like it's not that they were treated as like archaic it's just that we only got the western yeah there's no perspective yeah the, the western viewpoint was they want to kill us because that's how it was but we didn't get their viewpoint of oh the westerners want to kill us mm-hmm. <laughs> which yeah. is also true yeah uh, do you guys want to give uh, favorites now or after spoilers? Let's uh, let's go ahead and get into spoilers. Yeah, let's first, just because I want to talk specifically right. about certain. Let's just, yeah, do I you just, guys want to rank it, rate uh, it, or? rate it? See, with uh, this is when it's I hard kinda, to rate this. This like, is when I get this is when I get angry about rating things because one of the segments to me is a ten, two are a nine, and the rest are uh, like eights or seven. I'm gonna so I can I'm gonna grade it as a whole of how glued of how into it I was for the duration, uh, I would give it an 8.5. Yeah, D- Despite its shortcomings, which there are some, and I can't disagree with anything you're saying, Hunter, mm. uh, I just... I loved watching this. It was just a pleasure for me, even though it was so dark. It was just a pleasure. I mean, I don't. I'm not too far off on you guys. I feel like I'm like a seven point five to an eight. Yeah, and I do feel like it partially is. It's it's unfair to do this, but I can't help but think about the Coen Brothers filmography, and I'm like, well, this is kind of on the lower yeah, tier of the Coen exactly. Brothers filmography, so it kind of has to be. But like, even a seven point five almost feels low. It's like whenever we were talking about First Man with Damien Chazelle, mm-hmm. it's just like it's still this an feels amazing... like the worst movie that he's made. But like, that was still a great movie. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's hard to kind yeah. of put everything, uh, kind of take out the exterior forces. All right, so if you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix right now. Go watch Go it. Go check it Great out, movie. definitely. We recommend it. Let's get into spoilers right now for Scruggs. So we're, I wanted to like, go through and give thoughts on each one, but do you guys have a favorite that you want to say now? Oh, uh, without a doubt, um, what is it called? Uh, All Gold Co- All Gold Canyons. Yes, that's my That cue. is so good oh, shout out to tom, tom waits, waits tom waits is incredible i'm gonna find you mr pocket 
I love that. And especially coming off of Meal Ticket, which is the so most sad. depressing and dour thing I've um, seen this year. I, honestly, that might be my favorite nice. one. Meal Ticket? Yeah. Just I, so because of how dark it, it was is. Tr- well, that was one of the ones I was talking about where I, I think I got some extra meaning out of it behind. Mm-hmm. Aside from just like, damn, that's we live in a society. <laughs> <laughs> like... Uh, w- let's go like one through six. Let's let's start at the beginning. So the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Tim Blake Nelson plays Scruggs, and it, it opens really great. You know, you get the storybook. You're, yeah, you're I into... thought it. I thought this based on how the first one goes. I was like, is this a musical? Like, is yeah, this where we're going? With singing this? cowboy. I was. I was He's hoping like talking to the camera. <laughs> when we saw the book, I was hoping it would be like Shrek, where they're reading, <laughs> and then someone's like, "Yeah, right. Like that's ever going to happen?" And then, <laughs> beep, 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 and then All yeah. Star starts playing. <laughs> Um, okay, so one thing, um, also talking about the Dave Chen thing, something that he brought up um, on the Slash Film podcast, is I love the way that they kind of, um, the way that they show how outlaws are kind of charismatic and everything else, and like, oh yeah, this like lovable, like he's so charismatic and everything, and Tim Blake Nelson is just this, he's just this little cowboy yeah. going all around, white and then hat, it just like shirt. displays just mass murder and everything <laughs> was, in such a yeah. brutal and funny way. It was true. It was very, very funny. I've never seen Hail Caesar, but I've kind of heard that Hail Caesar kind <laughs> yeah, of treats I believe it. a little bit. Like, it was the just same way. yeah. It was funny. It was like slapstick. It was inventive. It was insanely dark at the yeah. same time, uh, and. When I was watching it, I was like, you know what? This is perfect because I don't think I could take a whole movie of it. But I think I, I think 20 yeah. minutes of it is incredible. Like, 20 minutes of that was a 10 for me. Like, yeah. it was just... And sh- shout to Mr. Krabs. Um, <laughs> Clancy Brown, right? Clancy yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Curly <laughs> Joe. Yeah, it was, it was Mr. Krabs. Nice. Um, it was just... It was so great. Like, it just started in this way of like, oh, cool, we're going to get some funny shit in this. And then, like, it falls off a cliff. Yeah. The humor just falls off a cliff. And I, 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 there's some beautiful shots in this. I thought the the scene the during the duel, the, the shot with the mirror where he's, like, looking yes. behind him with the mirror, I thought that was beautiful. So and I kind of got one shot left. Better yeah. not mess around and just shoots him in the face. Yeah. And Tim Blake Nelson was amazing oh like, i think the I, acting throughout this whole thing is amazing i yeah, really yeah. wanted more from i just wanted tim blake nelson to just show up in other things yeah just that because he's so good he could have popped in and just be like well that was a rootin' tootin' <laughs> sad ass story i hope that guy survived in the river I want him to anyway. be like <laughs> mr poopy butthole to this whole story where he's yeah. like oh geez you know yeah <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, it ends with him fucking getting shot and killed. Yeah, so I guess the moral of that is it's kind of the same as one of the morals in, in uh, Meal Ticket of just like, you know, you get replaced. if you, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get replaced. One more savagely than the other. Yeah, but... yeah. But like, you know, when, if something better comes along in this world, like you get thrown to the side and that's just the way it be. Yeah. And then you get the beautiful shot of him flying into heaven with angel <laughs> yeah, wings. Doing a duet. That was amazing. With the other guy. Uh, and that, then we get, uh, what's the, the next one? Nero Agadones. Yeah. So this is the James Franco one. James, yeah. James Franco. And what's the guy's name from Barry? Um, um, not Steve. Is it Stephen Root? Yeah, Stephen Root. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, there we go. Who is oh, fucking awesome? Yes. Yeah. This this is another one where just the beginning, I thought was unbelievable, and for the ending did not quite satisfy me. It was one of those. Okay, so I, this one, it 
just seemed like it was too short. Yeah. Like I wanted to take away time from a couple of the other ones and give it to this one. I agree. Um, just because this one, it felt like it was only like six minutes long. Like it felt like it was definitely the shortest one by far. I don't know necessarily if that's true, but just kind of how it felt watching it. I really loved the whole setup to it and everything. The ending, um, I kind of had mixed feelings on because, uh, you know, he has that point where he has the great line about like looking over and just like, oh, first time, first time eh? <laughs> and but he makes this eye contact with this girl and, and he just goes, that's a pretty girl. Yeah. <laughs> and then he gets hung. And it's almost like he has this relief while she's just watching a criminal getting fucking hung. And so I don't really like. Uh, is yes, is that mor- like some kind of a like misogynistic? I don't like. Yeah, I, I don't know. Is the moral just like like hot girls make you feel better? Hot? Do you just like I just want to see a pretty girl whenever I die? I just figured it was like he had a moment of happiness. Yeah, just right a moment of like dying. ah, that's nice, and then he dies. Yeah. That makes sense. It was just kind of like oh damn, he's dead. Like his final, <laughs> that's his final moment is a positive one. You know, yeah, even yeah. though he's being hung to death. It was it was kind of the in between that bothered me. The fact that he gets rescued after this insane sequence of events happens. First of all, Stephen Root is yelling pan shot. <laughs> Funniest, that was amazing. Funniest that was the best part my, about the movie. In my whole life. Panshot! <laughs> He's running out with like pots and pans yeah. on him. Panshot! <laughs> what? It was unbelievable. Yeah. I thought uh, something that I really loved about this, again, is the, the cinematography. But I also loved the look of that bank. You know, very. It just seemed like mm-hmm. straight out of the fucking 1800s. Mm-hmm. And uh, the... Um, the costume on Franco, like that duster coat. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just... Really, really this, cool. I loved the cinematography of him, like, just on the noose while he's just there by himself. And you're just seeing the horse, like, walking. Yeah. So there, he's just like, oh, oh Slowly getting oh, pulled. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. So, any, But anyway, the, yeah, so he gets rescued by this guy. And then the guy just takes him and he just gets hung. <laughs> Which I guess is part of the moral of just, like, you know, we live in a society. Well, no, <laughs> what, what happens is they're riding together and then some bounty hunters come. And the other guy yeah, just yeah, bails yeah. on him. It just yeah. It, why doesn't he bail out? Why does he just like sit there? I don't know. Because man, we should just all want to die because this earth <laughs> is so cold and unforgiving. Um. So anyway, uh, here's here's the casting call for this movie. They put out just it was just like a word document in Comic Sans. They put it on Hollywood Boulevard. It said calling uh, first bullet note A listers, second bullet note. People whose eyes are really close together. Uh, third bullet note, people who uh, have removable teeth. <laughs> That's everyone in the movie is covered in that in that trio. <laughs> All right. Next, we get meal ticket, right? That's yes. That's the third one. So, woof. <laughs> so, this is God. the story of an armless, legless man who, by the way, uh, uh, Cousin Dudley from Harry Potter. Hmm? Yeah. Harry Melling. Truly, uh, and a, truly a weird-looking guy. Giving... Um, Famous speeches and yeah, poems, an orator, yeah, to, telling uh, Cain and Abel, um, yeah, to, Ozymandias, to an audience of very cold uh, people in the frozen tundra. Yeah, and and he has mountains. he has this impresario that is taking care of him because he is limbless, yeah, played Liam. by Liam Neeson. Um, the whole time I was like, man, that guy really looks like Liam Neeson. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh shit, that is um, Liam Neeson. Yeah, so he's he's taking care of this guy. There is no dialogue exchanged between them except one line in the whole thing 
No, um, they don't. They don't talk at all. Mm-hmm. There's one. No, there's one line where Liam Neeson talks at the other guy. Oh, right, but the, he the other guy doesn't respond. Yeah, and it's just this tragic tale where, like, it starts off. There's a big audience. They go to another town, smaller. Another town. Uh, eventually, they're getting zero money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he takes him to a brothel. Oh my god! And, this is and this guy, and the limbless guy just has to listen to Liam Neeson <laughs> fucking this fat hooker. <laughs> And then <laughs> he walks over to him and turns him away. Yeah, and uh, it's it, which is just like unbelievable to watch. It's just, just like what am I looking? It just at? went on for so long. The sketch, and I was like, "There's no way this is a Coen Brothers film. There's no way this is going to end yeah, well." You're for just this waiting for it to go south. I couldn't. And like, I couldn't uh, look away. But talking about how they don't really set up anything, like you're established in this and i'm like all right is this like this guy's brother is it a family member kind of a thing like what are yeah because their the, relations is he just speaking in a british accent or is he a british yeah <laughs> was, yeah there's a lot of questions i think it's just i think it's two guys who are working like yeah. co-workers yeah oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean that's kind well, of well based on based the on ending it. because the in the end liam neeson trades this guy for a chicken and then just well, yeah. tosses him off into so, the river. So yeah, they they they're in a town. They make no money, and then they Liam Neeson sees that a chicken is the big attraction. A chicken doing like fake magic tricks, basically. Yeah. People are paying so much money. Yeah. So then you get this scene where the whole time you know it's about to happen, and then just watching it. Yeah. So Liam Neeson gets out. He like kind of throws a rock over the the river, and he's then like, he's yeah, oh, that's a good spot. He looks over at the limbless guy, and he's like, hmm, <laughs> I could do this. Um, here's here's what I think. I don't know if you guys got any of this. Is this an entertainment industry parable. I, okay, no, so people yeah, have been saying this. That's, oh, that's really? kind okay, of where right. I was getting yeah. is that it we really kind of like we it. traded like high logic uh, entertainment and like wisdom for like stupid gimmicks. Yeah, there, there are a few different things I could take out of it. Somebody who's like a master of like Shakespearean poetry. Yeah. So many memorized. Like it seems yeah. yeah, it seems like for the, a chicken. It seems <laughs> like the Coen brothers think that they're the limbless man and they think that the, the chicken is like YouTube. Oh, wow. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. Something of that nature. I like that. And take. as far as the impresario fucking them over goes, I would imagine like maybe they got fucked over by an agent <laughs> and like that's why they're on Netflix now or something. Like Damn. I mean, Netflix probably paid them good money it's, though. But it this is the one that more than any of the others, it seemed like it had a real uh, parallel of, yeah, yeah, to yeah. real life, some I, sort of societal motif. Yeah. Or... I think that you are right, and it's kind of making me appreciate this a little bit more. But this is just—it's so fucking dour. Like it's yeah. so so depressing, and it went on for so long. I feel like that's why it just like it tortured me because I knew that this man, this man who has no arms and no legs, is just going to be fucking murdered because this is a Coen Brothers movie, and that's yeah. what happens. It was just, it was unbelievable almost. It was one of those things, just like I said, like, at the at the start of it, I was hooked because it just, like, cold open on a limbless man giving a yeah. giving a speech, <laughs> and it's like, okay, I thought the, uh, <laughs> let's go. Let's fucking go. I thought the, the acting in this one was one of the best of the whole film oh, yeah. because yeah, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of just faces, you know, not a lot of dialogue. Yeah. Like you said, there's no dialogue exchanges, so they just give each other a lot of looks, yeah, and, the and lim- you get a lot out of it. Yeah, the limbless man has zero lines aside from... From the speeches he's giving. He only, yeah, he only ever, it's almost like he's just kind of only memorized these speeches and people appreciate him just as entertainment, but they don't even look at him as a person. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think that uh, just again, based on the ending and based on what you guys were saying about like what is their relationship, I really think that the limbless guy was just 
another chicken. Like, yeah, he was just, there was probably something else that came before him. Exactly. Yeah. And he now bought he, him from somebody. Yeah. And yeah and then buy the moved chicken on to the next thing. Yeah. Cause he's the guy is a traveling circus guy. Basically. Yeah. Like he just takes whatever will make him money clearly. And yeah. And I think that's what this is about. This is about how entertainment is all throwaway because whenever something else comes around, even if you think you're a Cohen and you're on top of the world, you put out big Lebowski and everyone's mad at you all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, this was definitely the most morbid, depressing. Oh, of dude, the bunch. it was it was a straight up tragedy front to back. But there I don't was think, nothing happy about it at all. I don't <laughs> think that makes it the worst one. I think this is one of the best ones because of the performances and just the the willingness for the Coens to like really go that extra mile into something truly this, dark and and say yeah, something about society. Exactly. This is this is the main one where I felt like I was learning something about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, learning something about the Coen brothers. I was like they're a little upset about where <laughs> entertainment is right now. Yeah. yeah. Like they're not just they're cuz a lot of entertainers even older ones are just like, "You know what? That's fine. I'm still going to do what I do, but you can do what you do." I think they don't actively hate what's going on right so now. So, I kind of thought about this. Do you think that that man like just bought the chicken thinking that he's just like a magical smart chicken or something. I don't know. Or does he actually Probably. know that it's, <laughs> that it's like, yeah, this is all a gimmick. Yeah. Like I'm pushing a button so that that's will be the one. That I, he yeah. I th- maybe he just bought a chicken. Didn't, isn't it not <laughs> revealed which chicken? Like he may have just got a chicken and been like, Oh, you think that he, no, no, no. I think they made he, it. He goes to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he bought that chicken. Guy, yeah. All right. But he, gonna... I think that he thinks that that is like a genius chicken. He doesn't actually, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's so gonna go stupid. to the next town and he's not going to, the chicken's not going to do anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Neeson killed it. The, the smile he gives to the limbless man when he's walking up to him and the limbless guy knows he's about to yeah. get thrown off the fucking, it's just a straight up tragedy. It's about man's inhumanity to man, but it's also about other shit. And that's why I liked it. But uh, so the fourth one you guys really liked. Uh, oh, man. The Prospector. Yeah. Tom Waits. This one is my favorite one just because I loved every minute of this. It has I the best that- payoff. It has the best payoff. Um, it has, like, probably... I think that this is the only one that actually has, like, a happy ending. Um, well, he probably bleeds out, though. Yeah, usually if you get shot in the Old West, you die. <laughs> Eventually. He got a shit ton of gold, hey, but there's he's no way still, he's going to he make it. He slept it off and woke up the next day. <laughs> so, like, obviously he's doing... It, he said it didn't hit anything important, just guts. It went right through. <laughs> I, he's probably going to die. Probably, but hey, I still, like, I'm just happy for him. I think this is... I think that this this or the next one are the two best shot oh, of the shorts. This yes. valley looks it beautiful. Looks so so beautiful. It yeah. was it was like the, what I kept thinking during this is like it made me kind of hate movies like Avengers where everything is shot in front of a green screen where I was just like this is a real place. Yeah. Like look at this. This is it fucking looked, it beautiful. Looked pretty, yeah, it looked pretty legit. Um so the the underlying theme of this, because we have Tom Waits uh, struggling, 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 gets the gold, gets shot. Again, we have something something underlying about how like you do all the work and then like it doesn't matter. You might as well die. Someone's going to come along and take yeah, it from but you. But he prevails, which I thought was interesting because, I mean, the theme of the whole thing is just dying, basically. Yeah. Uh, and then the, here's the other thing that I thought was interesting. They frame it within the framework of nature. 
of wildlife mm -hmm. and it seemed like there was this like weird theme of like you know we're all just gonna die and nature is still gonna be there right and all we're, we're doing come yeah and all we're shit up and, and yeah like gone. yeah nature's having a great time and then tom waits comes in he's like how do you do and then everyone they all leave the owls and the tadpoles and the butterflies bunch of, bunch of death happens but yeah i liked i liked tom waits like going in there seeing that there was birds and tries to like get the eggs and everything and then he looks over and sees oh, like a mother owl, owl and yeah. he's just like <laughs> Yeah, I'll just take maybe, one. Maybe just one. Yeah, that was <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah, it was really. funny, but it was almost like a like kind of taking care of a nature thing. Like, yeah, he's taking one of these babies, but he's not just like eating yeah. this owl like all of her children. Exactly. Yeah. It just struck me as some sort of environmental message of mm -hmm. like nature remains, and it also you know we're the ones that fuck it up. Like Tom Waits fucks nature. Is I what just I'm saying. I wanted to. <laughs> talk about the whole scene that happens when the guy shows up and shoots Tom Waits in the back and then we spend like a solid minute or two just from the other guys oh rolling the cigarette <laughs> dude I'm rolling the cigarette loved that so smoking good. it Taking just, and one he hit, keeps putting looking, it out. He keeps looking down. Well, he needs like, to make sure that he's dead. He's doing the smart thing, making sure that he's dead, <laughs> not just jumping down in there. And Tom wait, and the prospector just waits there patiently, just knowing that this dude's about to come yeah, down Tom there. Yeah, Tom waits. Yeah, Tom, Tom waits. Tom waited. He waits. <laughs> Tom waits. And, yeah, and uh, Black Shirt jumps in there. Tom waits, freaks out, and just... Yeah, shoot me in the back. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not... <laughs> <laughs> I did the work, Mr. Hole. <laughs> and he triumphs. Yeah, there's a struggle, and he gets the gold in the end. Yeah, he gets away, and then the deer comes back, and it's like, well, that yeah. was weird. <laughs> also, way better CGI deer than three billboards. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep, yeah. for sure. The tadpoles looked a little sus. In yeah. my opinion, but I thought it was great how he like figured out exactly where he was going to dig his hole. Yeah, you know, no like, testing. the. it the was really it almost seemed. I mean, I don't know what prospectors <laughs> did to find gold pockets. But oh, well, it yeah. almost seemed very realistic where they're just like, all right, Narrowing six pieces here, four pieces, no pieces. All right. So it's got to be in this area. Well, also, uh, a big part of it was is that is actually like a unique technique. It's on purpose. But like usually they would just take a sieve into a river and just dig into the river itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and look for gold in there but he's like no 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 i'm gonna go out here dig outside and then and bring find, it in and find the actual like where the real yeah gold is. mr pocket, yeah. pocket it was it was it was just great though I, like it was a fun fun little thing uh tragic and just a blast yeah and and it, slow it came it at the perfect time because exactly. i was starting to just be like it's right in the God, middle <laughs> do i need to like take a break from this movie yeah, jesus meal ticket is like maybe that the, the darkest thing i've seen in my life <laughs> may possibly so, quite possibly so i really needed this up it was like yeah. i will say like they put these in except for the last one which we'll get to i really liked the order mm -hmm. of these uh of these shorts okay so then we have the gal who got rattled yeah so this is the longest one yeah uh this is the most complete story mm -hmm. and it's a love story um basically zoe kazan is a pioneer of sorts going into the west and her she, and her brother she uh she falls in love with one of the 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 caravan wranglers and i thought it was it was really sweet it you know it it takes its time so like, setting yeah, up it's character yeah it's a very sweet love story bill heck who mm -hmm. I, why haven't we seen this guy in more stuff because he's, he's like a newcomer he's a hunk yeah mm -hmm. he seems like he's older he looks like david beckham yeah um and he's great too and also Very subdued the thing like he's appeared on the leftovers apparently oh what and i don't ever remember this guy being on the leftovers but trying to look through huh. his imdb and stuff um, like that so anyway though 
aside from the fact that you know at the end someone's gonna die yeah uh this was a very straightforward like this might as well have been a hallmark style movie the only difference is that it was good (laughs) and that somebody died (laughs) yeah except for yeah aside from not a happy aside from the death though like this was a very straightforward love story i thought i thought the dog was gonna die yes i was freaking out me too but the dialogue was very restrained and it was very it was just sweet like it was very nice it was sweet and it was very like it, it was just very, like, subtle. Like, they're, like, in this whole... They have this whole dilemma with somebody needing to get paid. And so he, like, proposes to her, like, willing to take up the debt and everything else. And, yeah. But it's not just like, oh, I, I love, love you. Yeah. yeah. That's just how it was that, back then, you And know? I love that. This is probably my favorite ending to any of them in that it ends with um, this guy, uh, Mr. Arthur, I believe yeah, his name was. who's, like, barely even a character... Until he gets his fucking yeah, moment yeah. to shine at the end. She kills herself, and then he has to be the one to deliver the news. Instead of getting this dramatic moment, it just ends. Yeah. Right then with him like riding back and seeing the caravan again. Yeah, yeah and I mean, part of, this, uh, part of all their movies, but especially this one, is defying audience expectations. Absolutely. Like, mm-hmm. the endings of all their movies kind of throw you for a loop. Um, but this one especially, the, it's very on purpose that a few of these ended right where you didn't think they would end mm-hmm. like that that was not like just oh they were like oh fuck we didn't write an ending like they did this on purpose yeah. and it's it's set up perfectly that he like tells her like you gotta kill yourself if i yeah. go down because these natives will she take did, you and rape you yeah she did exactly what she, he was told to do yeah, but just prematurely die. yeah um so yeah zoe kazan is a great actress i'd like to see her more she does not have any sort of accent in this she's talking like a millennial and that kind of bothered me a little bit um but other than that this was just like a it almost just shocked me how straightforward it was it was just like they they really took the time with the love story this was maybe the longest one it was yeah uh yeah and so you just get these really sweet scenes where bill heck is being like a genuinely good person you you, the whole time you're thinking is he gonna like kill rape mm -hmm. her is he gonna like what's happening here i really liked uh her and her brother um jefferson mays like their dynamic it seemed very authentic to the time where she was just kind of a woman in this time period which nobody really placed actual like any kind of real sentience in women yeah they're just like yeah i'm gonna take you with me sis and i'm gonna i'm gonna wed you to my business partner and you're going to be eternally <laughs> grateful because you'll have money and you'll be able to live yeah, on all this land. She and- does a great job. The opening scene of this we got to talk about because it's it's another just baller opening scene where he just oh, yeah. opens on this dinner scene of these old people talking. Yeah. And uh, the, the man with the mustache, the most interesting looking person I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. Like he looks like a cartoon of a person. Yeah. They, they, they always cast these people who like like where did the, where do they find these guys? Yeah. They look so fucking weird. <laughs> they always find like that's why they cast Nick Cage in in Raising Arizona. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just one of those scenes where it opens up and it's like, all right, let let's get it. We're at dinner. It, let's figure anything, it out. <laughs> this might have been probably the most like heavy handed. Like it isn't heavy handed, but the most expositiony kind of a thing where he's Definitely. just like he had a cough no it was just a nervous cough and everything else and you're like well somebody is going to get sick was, and die like th- that was what i was gonna say my only knock on this is it almost genuinely felt like a hallmark movie at times not in like shittiness of script but in just of 
predictability mm-hmm. and of how much they were explaining things. Yeah. How much they had to Which be Which like, is, it seemed very un-Coen Brothers. Yeah, like. yeah. Um, Except for the very end. Yeah. You know? That was very... I, I think that, that the ending we get here is, is great because just it, it really drives home the idea of like how life was like back then you know you were traveling across the country across the plains and the desert and then you know you might encounter some uh-huh. natives and have to shoot yourself oh. and that's that my other takeaway from this movie is like if I lived in the old west I would have just uh, been an alcoholic and killed myself <laughs> I would have just been one of the people that you see in like Red Dead yeah, or something is just in a saloon yeah, all yeah. the time like I, there's no other option like life is hell yeah. for all of them <laughs> I would just die like You'd die at any moment yeah anyway um <laughs> All right, so I think we're at the last one, yeah, right? The mortal yeah. remains. Yeah. So this one takes place all entirely, pretty much entirely, in a stagecoach, and it's essentially like they're all dead. The hateful it's, eight. It's yeah. all dialogue. This is this is my least favorite. Oh, really? Of all of them. Yeah. I thought, just, it was, I thought it was really well done. I just didn't. I didn't really think that there was much of a payoff as far as like the mor- the moral of all of this because it starts off with them and I was into it at first. Just these people talking. They're kind of debating about the different. There's two types of people in this world, and then kind of debating what those two types of people are. Yeah. But. And, like, I assumed as soon as, like, he looks out the window and you see this, like, man just, like, whipping, I was like, oh, okay, they're all dead. Yeah. But also there's an actual dead person on the caravan with them. That is, I love that, man. Like, ten it minutes just, in, they're like, oh, yeah, that's why we have this dead guy on the roof. <laughs> but, like, I if they're so also much. dead, you're like, wait, what? Like, what are the rules to this world? Yeah, that it was in? a bit murky in that aspect. I just enjoyed the dynamics in the stagecoach. Um it was it was a lot of dialogue, but particularly I want the name of the mustache man giving that that performance, particularly the monologue that he goes not on. Brendan the Frenchman? Um, uh, no, not the Frenchman. The 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 Englishman. The distractor. Yeah, yeah. So there's the Englishman and the Irishman. Yeah, man. so yeah, you have an Irishman bounty hunter, and then th- this Englishman who's like the distractor. You don't know what they are for the majority of the ride. His the, name is John Joe O'Neill. Yeah. He this guy. That scene was one of the best performances I've seen this year. The monologue he goes on where he's like, I like to watch them. I like to watch them try to reckon with, with death in the afternoon. Yeah, like yeah. in the final moments. His, he's like, life. did they ever get any? He's like, oh, I don't know. The, the, <laughs> he's like cheery about it his, in like the sadistic way. He, yeah, he has just this energy. It was electrifying. You know what he reminds Unbelievable. me of? He's the anti- um, version of no country for old men of uh of sugar. Sh- sugar yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's the anti-version because sugar is just so like nonchalant and like so sociopathic yeah. and this guy's like zany about the murders that he yeah, commits like, oh, <laughs> yeah. i watched him well, die I, I think that the whole point of this one is it just it kind of encapsulates the theme of the whole film that everyone's gonna die no matter what it's what i was saying earlier like no matter what your perspective is, no matter what you come from, you, no matter what your takeaway from life and existence is, it doesn't matter because we're all going to die. Yeah, that, I mean, that was definitely it. I just thought that this was the most muddled of all of them, if you know what I mean. Like, it's not because I don't necessarily think I don't think that any of these are bad or I mean, I think that they're all good. But this one was my least favorite just because it was so uh unclear what exactly the message was that I was trying to get out of it and I was kind of hoping for this I got what they were going for with this being the final thing being like everybody dies uh, no matter what and you can kind of try and reckon with it however you see fit in your own life but Mm. 
in the end, you're still dead. And I just kind of wanted a little bit more out of I, this one, yeah. for, especially for it being the final one. Right. I wanted it to Wrap be. things up a little. I bit. wanted it to be a little bit cleaner. Oh, you guys are looking at me. I'm chewing. Oh, it's okay. No. I'm chewing myself. Um, oh, no, hold on. Let me chew. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, yeah. Could, I couldn't wait another ten minutes till we were done with the pod, Drew. I'm, Jesus, I'm hungry. <laughs> I I loved I loved all of them. I think that this was definitely one of the weaker ones. Um, yeah, I agree with that. But I, I, I think it does its job and it kind of like encapsulates the theme of the whole thing. Yeah, this is the one that is most based on uh, the insignificance of human morals as opposed to just the insignificance of being alive in general. Mm-hmm. This, The message of this one, I think, is more of... Uh, at the end of the day, the king and the pawn go in the same box. It's like that phrase. Oh yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. There you know, you, know. You, yep. you can be this like uptight moral lady, but guess what? You're you're dead too. Yep. You know. Yep. Um. I like so that. I I did get something out of it, but it you know it wasn't my favorite because it, it was took place in a stagecoach. <laughs> so which one was I, your I, meal ticket? Was your favorite one? Oh, I don't even want to say that because it might mean that I'm it was have really problems. Well yeah, you might need to go see a therapist, <laughs> dude. When he threw him off, I, I was cracking up. What bro. I did like about this last one is how uh, it starts out like looking very warm. Mm-hmm. You know, like the color of the of mm-hmm. the shots are you know oranges, and then as it goes on, it goes into like blues, full cool yeah. colors. Yeah, it was it was a really great transition into that. Yeah. Um. But are we uh? Are we all done? You guys have any final thoughts? Yeah. Uh, in all, I th- I really enjoy this for many reasons. Uh, I think that again, the old west is such a great setting for the Cohen brothers because of the apathy of the old west. Mm-hmm. There were no rules, and I think that's what they're saying. They're saying in life, they're really the rules are few and far in between what we think they are. And in 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 that, there's very little hope for humanity to thrive. Yeah, it, the old west was a desolate, unforgiving place, and they're kind of trying to say like hey it's not so different from that now we just yeah. kind of well, act like it's well different. okay yeah, and exactly. so that's that's why i kind of one thing that i wanted to say was that uh this and red dead it's really weird to me that these have come out at the same time and they kind of share some themes with each other and red dead more explicitly says it i think that this does in an indirect way too about how just like yeah you know like you can kind of try and mask uh everything with like this image of society and Civilist, civilization yeah. But at the end of the day, if you still pull out a gun and shoot somebody, they're dead. Like, no matter how much you can soup this up and make this all look nice and proper and everything else, we still abide by the same laws of nature that you could go and murder somebody and then that person would be dead. And I think if anything else, what the Coens are saying with this is that they they don't have much hope for us to change. They think that we're, as a species... We're just doomed to. Re- is that really what we want to hear in society these well, days? Though, like like I said earlier, the problem is that we hear that a lot in our mm-hmm. pop culture now. Yeah. So it wasn't the freshest thing. Hey, here's here's a hot take. Here's what the Coen Brothers don't know. They're the fucking. Uh, they're the chicken. Oh. And Red Dead is the limbless man. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> and they're throwing them. Yes. Up. And I am Liam Neeson. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that about does it for this week's episode so thanks for listening and uh we love you and we will hang you at the gallows we and we will never throw your limbless body off of well we might well yeah it depends we're gonna pivot to video at some point if you if you prefer (laughs) the snyder colin podcast over us then we will throw your limbless body and if any of you guys you two lose your limbs i get dibs on helping you pee the (laughs) 
the Snyder Collin podcast is the the hot beans that Liam Neeson feeds to the limbless man and force feeds them to him. Uh, that's how you know that there was that he's just another chicken because yeah. he was like, he's "You fucking eat him. this. Yeah. I don't care about you. Yeah, I don't care who you were." Or what you are. Yeah. So are we done now? Because I already have this noose tied and I'm ready to fucking kill myself. <laughs> yeah, so all first right. time. Um, so where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Hunt Mobley. Um, I haven't really done too much on there. But uh, get ready. My uh, Smash Bros. takes will start Damn, to be coming in on Thursday it. night at midnight because I already have it pre-downloaded. Oh, so shit. I'm going to be playing next week. I'm not even... If you just hear me just like oh, clicking in the background, it's just me playing Switch the entire time while we're Damn. doing the podcast. So I don't care about you guys. Yeah. You're Twitch streaming right now. Yeah, I, I am. Got the early copy. Um, catch me on Fortnite. <laughs> you still playing? Uh, yeah, I play with Colin and David. Oh, That's okay. how we hang out. Oh, nice. Because I don't have any other fucking games. And uh, me. No. <laughs> I haven't played with you fucking once, Hunter. I, I tuned in one time, but I don't have a microphone, so I just heard you guys talking. So you basically, and then I just, got you off. basically cucked yourself. <laughs> yeah. You can you can play with like a regular pair of earbuds. No. no. Yeah. No. There's a, there's a microphone not, on the earbuds. No. Yeah. Hunter just doesn't want to play. Fortnite's stupid. <laughs> he can buy a six dollar mic PUBG on Amazon. And he doesn't want to. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I am at Caldernist on uh, Twitter, Letterbox, all that. Um. And the show is at We Bought a Mic and We Bought a Mic at gmail.com. So let us know on there what you want to hear from us or not hear from us. Or if you just want us to die on a noose shot by a gun, whatever. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Next week, what are we talking uh, about? Next I know week? Green Room came out. Green uh, Room? Or Green Book. <laughs> Green I, Room came out a few years no. ago. I think we should watch Green The Book. Favorite. Is The Favorite going to get a wide release? I know Green Book just now got a wide release, but Vigo could be up for like a best actor. And so I, I definitely know. want to see uh, Mahershala. That and, uh, I've heard that movie sucks. I've really? heard it's gotten very, very mixed things. Critics love it and audiences don't like it, which usually means that uh, I like it. It seems like it might be a uh, like an Oscar Beatty type. Deal. Well, yeah. it's no, it it's really, a white yeah. person learning that racism is bad. Yeah, he's like, sorry, so, Thor, I'm just the big dummy. It just seems like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I do love, so much clapping. I love Vigo and Mahershala. Yeah, I'm gonna, so I'm, I'm gonna, gonna clap at that. the screen until I'm not racist anymore. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Watch we it be good. See you now. Next time. Right. Bye bye. <laughs>